God. <laughs> D? Allah. <laughs> that video is so funny. <laughs> I couldn't tell if it was uh, being... Uh, if it was... Someone just made it up. Did they do a voiceover? Or is that real? No, no it's real. What is he doing in there? <laughs> Assalamualaikum and welcome to the Mad Mamluks Podcast. My name is Sim. Along with me are this these cast of characters here along with a special guest very on, special guest Sheikh Amir on your on the bottom and my screen is frozen though no it's not oh I'm you're oh what what frozen, the heck happened to you frozen frozen oh. in time oh no, oh, no. We'll, we'll get that sorted out don't worry Sheikh in the meantime Hamer. I'll send you the link all right so you can put it on your oh my god are you gonna play that video yeah <laughs> please do so <laughs> This is literally my first live, like roundtable experience in a podcast. No, <laughs> we've done we've done live with you before. That's, no, like in person, Doctor Muhammad Rila. In person, Muhammad Rila. You can all you see he's like his it's all good. He looks froze. like a G, bro. He don't even need to move. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it still frozen? Yeah, we got we got a camera. Let We're gonna me, sort uh, it out. But I'm just gonna let you, ladies and gentlemen, know. I hope you guys don't mean me talking right now. Um, but. Um, people don't like to hear this. Maybe I shouldn't even say this, but whatever. I'll just say one of my favorite guests ever is Dr. Muhammad Ghilan. So some of the people don't feel a little sour, but uh, the first podcast we ever had with him, I talked to him. I was like, man, we got to get this guy in studio. This is when we were in your old place. This is a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. When we first started. And when he was here, I still don't believe it. I thought Mahim was pulling one of his lies. <laughs> we'll get into that later. And I was like, no, nah, he ain't coming. I see him outside of my crib, man. Mashallah. I was so happy, bro. We should play Back in Black because that's an ACDC song, and we haven't been on the air for like five weeks or uh -huh. what, almost a month now. I don't know what Back in Black not, is. Not Back in Black is a uh, rock and roll band, ACDC. Mm -hmm. They're from Australia, and he's from Australia. Oh, ACDC was from Australia? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, they're the only rock band that came out of Australia. Achha. Anyways, yes. Doctor, <clears throat> how you like in Chicago? Shy town, Chirac. Chirac. <laughs> Chirac. No, no, good thing you didn't say Chirac. No, 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 no don't, don't say that. <laughs> Is it Chirac the alcohol? Yeah. That, that, that's, what, that's what DJ Khaled uh, promotes. Yeah. <laughs> the Another Apple one. Stuff. Another one. <laughs> yeah. um, it's nice. It's flat. It's yeah. flat. I, like, we were just in Vancouver and it's gorgeous mountainous green um just a beautiful beautiful city i you don't get to appreciate where you live until you leave it mm. then you come back to visit so i'm visiting it now and seeing like it's it's such a gorgeous city um so chicago is nice it's, it's green and all that but i'm noticing that um it's uh it's really flat like it's yeah. and i'm told that there's flatter than chicago yeah. <laughs> which is interesting but alhamdulillah it's nice i'm loving it it's good I, I never, I never thought I'd see you in studio over here. Yeah, I, I never I, either, man. You know what the funny thing is? I told him when I first saw him, like I saw him on studio. Uh, I saw him in in person, and I was like, dude, you look so skinny on camera. Usually, I didn't know. <laughs> so then, me and Mahin, we were just asking about questions about health and fitness and all that stuff the whole way here. Which I have a lot of questions for you for because I know you used to be a personal trainer. Oh, all that stuff. Fun but, times. Yeah. Back in the day. There was, was yeah. There, that's actually a good way to start this puppy off because it's kind of like. When we were planning your trip, we were asking like you, like, what do you want to eat, right? Yeah. And the first thing you said was like kebabs, but like no rice and no bread. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like what? Like you can't. 
that enhances the yeah. flavor. You know, it's funny because the first time I reached out to uh, Saad here was uh, the first episode we did. We were talking about different topics. And I was like, hey, you want to talk about nootropics? And he's like, no, that's a complex field. Um, and there's a lot of things that I'm not really ready to talk about because um, just because of uh, the lack of research, probably, research yeah. probably done related to those th things. Now that Sad here has been studying medicine, now you're in rotations and stuff for now? Or? Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm wondering, has your outlook changed on things related to uh, performance-enhancing substances? Is that For the brain? <laughs> <laughs> or otherwise? No, for the brain. We'll focus on the brain. All right, fine. That's interesting. You know, that's a good question because I'm reading this book now uh, by... I think his name, first name is John. It's Conrad. John Conrad, I think. Uh, the Medicalization of Society. Hmm. And in it, he talks about basically you take the human beings as they are and um, try to pathologize the way that they perform. So normal uh, uh, trajectory of life becomes problematized. And then you want to combat that in some way. So that's the big push now with testosterone replacement therapy, TRT and getting on some growth hormone as you grow older because it's going down and so you, it's the pursuit of this elixir of youth yeah you know you're trying to just you know that's what i'm trying to get word off <laughs> what's wrong with that no and i always worried about that because that's a natural that's how life is supposed to be right well it's pushing this whole thing well and also the, this whole the whole notion of neuroplasticity and everyone's pursuit to achieve that the highest version of themselves the the most ideal but i mean that's what like all a lot of these self-help gurus I mean, are pushing you to do but you know have this vision of yourself in yeah x amount of years and, and you know push Look, yourself towards that i don't think there's um i don't have a problem with it if you're just doing things naturally so um a lot of people drink coffee is the is the most consumed quote-unquote drug in the world today yeah. and we use it so that we can stay alert we can use it uh, for in pre-workouts it's the big thing caffeine so it's 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 an, an element that we use. There is another thing that um, was prominent uh, during the time of Abu Faraj ibn al-Jawzi's time. And it was, I can't remember what exactly it was right now off the top of my head, but um, it, it improves memory significantly. But one of the side effects of it was that you actually lose hair. So his beard went from a thick beard into a thin beard. I'm willing to make that change. Um, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> memory, memory versus... Beard? No, Anyways, I, what ahead. I'm saying, what I'm saying is that, that this has been around for a long Not time. Human beings have, That's for funny. a long time, tried to um, enhance performance and get better and stronger, and, and we do it with all kinds of things. We do yeah. it with uh, how we eat, what type of diet that we're on. Uh, we do it with uh, our sleep now. How do you sleep? What's the best way to sleep to improve performance? There are ways that we're doing it through all of these natural means. I don't have a problem with that. My problem is when you start to uh, apply this medical model the modern medical model which looks at the human being in a reductive way mm. you are not a whole being you are a component you're just a collection of components almost like a car you know i remember when we were young we we're talking about souping up a car so you get the exhaust don't use that word anymore souping up man that was back in the day you 80s. souped up your car yeah so and and what do you do to soup up a car you get you change something with the engine you change something with the exhaust the muffler type whatever so and that's to increase how, how many horsepower am i going to get extra out of this that's a car but a human being despite all of the knowledge that we have and it's a lot but it's very little to 
to treat the human being as a collection of components and then try to tinker with it without knowing. You know, I hate to use this person as a reference, but what he said was actually a good one, Rumsfeld, when he said, we know what we don't know. It's, 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 we know what we know, and we know what we don't know, but it's what we don't know we don't know that scares us. Mm. And that's really the case with the human being. So when you try to engage with this pharmaceutical manipulation and tinkering with the human body uh, without paying attention to or paying any mind to what other side effects could this have? You know, when you study something like, does this cause cancer? You know, and you take this particular substance. When you study it scientifically, what you're looking for is a single effect. And that's what you're looking for. And then when you say it doesn't cause that, and then it's declared as safe. But that's a problematic way of looking at it because you've only looked at one thing. You don't know what other side effects this thing can have. And some of them can manifest after a long period of time. Yeah. And then you be well, well past the point of you being able to link it as a causal factor in the chain because you've gone a long time and now too many other things have become involved in it. So the way that is being done now, it's actually uh, the neurotropics and all of these things, they're, they're coming uh, at a time when uh, they're coming from a paradigm of looking at the human body and medicine that holistically speaking, traditional people would reject mm. because it is not part of nature. It's the same argument with the GMOs. Like people's like, oh, GMOs are completely safe. They're perfectly safe. People have been doing it for thousands of years. We've been manipulating. There is a qualitative difference between the way that traditional farming practices have selected for particular crops and the way that is being done in a lab today. Mm. So when you go to a lab today and they say, we're just going to take this one gene out without knowing the grand effect, the, all the side effects that this has and all the different uh, aspects that this gene is involved in, I'm just going to take this one gene and I'm just going to manipulate it and come up with something that I like versus a traditional farmer who doesn't have access to these things. All they do is they look at the plant as a final product mm. and they choose based on that. They look at their animals as a final product and they breed the animals that they want, the strongest, the biggest or whatever. But at least they're taking the thing as a whole. Regardless of what they, what they know about it, it's like this is the whole thing, the whole being in its environment and it's in balance with this environment to some yeah. degree, and I'm going to generate what I want from that. That's what I'm going to select for versus this one thing that I'm going to manipulate. So you take growth hormone. We don't actually know the negative consequences yeah. of doing this. And it's all also based on this, like I said, is this uh, uh, the chase after uh, youth and beauty, which are ephemeral. They're transitory. They're there for a purpose in life. This part of wisdom. They're there just for a, a, a particular... Uh, they serve a role yeah. in the cycle of the human being. Yeah. And you're supposed to move on from that role as you grow older and embrace the different stages of life. That's where you really will try, will attain happiness. But this continuous chase after this illusory thing, that's what dunya is. It's, yeah. kind, of, it's kind of like redlining, right? It's kind of like redlining and you're taking exogenous hormones, exogenous growth hormone, um, and you're trying to... It, it, and what you're actually trying to do is reverse mm. the cycle. You're not yeah. going to reverse the, it. There's also the the whole element of neuroplasticity. The uh, people want to become the best version of themselves in the brain, not necessarily physically, but they want to be able to think faster. I don't think he's disagreeing with that. We all want to become better. Yeah. But that process of forcing something, we don't know what forcing something to, especially with the brain, trying to make it. Uh, more optimal Look, in that sense. Yeah. We don't know what effects it's going to have. We, know. we would love to live even, live even a thousand years, right? Yeah. yeah. We would love to. We know that if you 
um, practice memorization, your cognitive abilities will improve. We know that if you write with uh, calligraphy wise, like just actually write with a pencil, is better for your brain than typing on a keyboard. We know that. We know that these things have protective effects against dementia and Alzheimer's and things. We know these things. So we encourage. We know that physical exercise improves memory function and learning and speed. These things are, are, are encouraged and you should do these things. The problem is, if you look at the medical, the medicalization of like aging, it's the pathologization of aging. It's bad to be old. Hmm. And that's why we like to hide it. We'll put them in old folks' homes. We don't want to see old people around. Even to the point yeah. people don't like to look at old people because they're afraid of being old. And I look, think they're they afraid of them, them driving, though. No. Come on, man. <laughs> no. <laughs> i got to be honest. I know people are like, oh, my God. I've heard people say this while I'm walking on the street. Well, we oh, don't even so want to old. see it in the mirror. That's why people are going and getting these plastic surgeries and doing all these changes to themselves. So we're not happy with this stuff. We're not embracing these changes of uh, these different parts of our life cycle. We're not embracing it. And so you ha end up with all of these People are just not happy because of that. Instead yeah. of embracing this thing, it's not bad for you to try to. I mean, I see people in the gym, quite impressive. Like I saw to this day, I remember this guy. He was at the time when I saw him, he was sixty-seven years old, sixty-eight years old. I saw him in the change room changing. I could not put him above fifty-two, fifty-three, kind of a thing. And mashallah, six uh, six-pack abs, really good shape. You could see his quads all defined. He didn't have the muscle loss. Like as you grow older, yeah, uh, you start to lose muscle from your extremities first, muscle mass from your extremities. That's why I see old people with like really thin forearms, mm -hmm. really thin upper arms, really thin legs. These are the muscles that go first if you don't apply resistance to them. Yeah. So if you go to the gym and you squat and you do these things, you'll maintain that you muscle. You can maintain that even after a certain age. Too. Yes, you can to That's a great beautiful. degree. So you can still maintain your shape. Yeah. But this guy's been going at it for a very long time, and I was quite impressed with that. So he did something that was quite natural works out three times a week he runs five times a week he still boxes he does all these things and he's he's a really good shape yeah he's very healthy we see it in now that i'm doing the clinical rounds and i'm seeing the patients coming through and we see the effect of lifestyle choices what people do ends up impacting them but it's almost like um when you go to the gym and you see people that are uh using straps and weight belts and all of these things i don't use any of that stuff as far as i'm concerned if i can't lift the weight myself I don't want to introduce an external thing that is going to create imbalances within my body. And if you look at most people that have injuries in the gym, they're usually the ones that are trying to push too much and they're using aids yeah. uh, in the terms of like belts and straps and things like that with weight that they their body just wasn't balanced enough in a way to handle it. Yeah, And they're not listening to their body as they go through these changes. So it's not a problem that, oh, I want to improve, I want to think faster, I want to be better, I want to have a stronger memory. Go for it, do all these things. We all drink coffee, we drink tea, we do whatever we need to. We, we look for natural remedies. We look for types of foods that we can eat. Even for myself, I try, I try to monitor like what type of food makes me even more present and what type of food makes me more lethargic and yeah. I avoid. That's good. But the use of pharmaceuticals is what I have an issue with. And I think we're living in a culture where people don't want to put in like old school, real work. Like you talk about memorization, right? I'll give you a small <laughs> example. I was talking to a friend of mine. And I told him, you know, and he's my age. I was like, you know, uh, I was talking about Arabic and Arabic class and this and that. He's like, yeah, I mean, I want to learn Islam. I don't want to learn Arabic because it's too late for me to learn Arabic, right? Mm. And one thing that I took from that um, is that we're living in this culture where we don't want to put in that original work like memorization. Yeah. And we want to induce a chemical into our bodies that we hope will, will, will work, right? So like you said, memorization, man, you know, it's... It's proven with the with with the hadith. You know, if you memorize, you memorize, you utilize, 
and you memorize the Quran, it's going to not only barakah, that's a whole different level. People, we can talk about that later. But just on, uh, on, on uh, and you could talk, obviously, neuroscience level, the more you accumulate, the more you try to keep something, you know, as we think in pictures and we try to keep those pictures in our mind and words and phrases, it sharpens our mind. It keeps it vibrant. It keeps it healthier because we're utilizing it more, right? So there's actually a, an interesting study that just came out recently looking at people who forget are more intelligent is the conclusion that they came for, forth from that. So there's a limit. If you memorize too much, I mean, it takes work to keep what you memorized. Yeah. So you have to always keep reviewing. Mm. You only have so much time in a day. And if your cognitive powers are all occupied with just, I need to keep memorizing and remembering and reproducing, you actually can't free enough time for you to, or enough cognitive reserve for you to be able to think and come up with novel solutions and new things. Mm. So it's not, there's obviously the fluke kind of, rare examples people like Ibn Abbas who would listen to a hundred line poem and then he would just reproduce it after once hearing it once but generally speaking if you spend all your time just memorizing and repeating and memorizing and repeating that's also not a positive thing so there's a kind of a happy medium to do it and I think it's interesting that in the Islamic tradition at least memorize the Quran memorize the Hadith then beyond that you don't have to keep memorizing and memorizing and memorizing you just keep now you can you can add to it I think that's one of the problems that really plagues us as an ummah is that we look at the, the productions of our past scholars who took the primary sources and produced original work. Had they done that nowadays, they would be looked at as people mm. that are heretics and going outside, the, they're out of the pale. And now what we do is we memorize the Quran, the Hadith, and then we want to memorize all the mutun and all the works and just keep memorizing and reproducing, memorizing and reproducing. There's ulum al-ala, sure. You need to know what these are. But beyond that, do you have to keep memorizing and reproducing all of the r- old rulings that people have produced yeah. to deal with their times? I'm not talking about rituals and religious practice here. I'm just talking about academics, academics, yeah. contemporary issues, things that they produce. We're not doing that. So we just keep reproducing and reproducing and we're kind of stuck stagnant in this ossified tradition that's not developing to address new contemporary matters. And so you see the rise of all of these ideologies that are coming up in the Muslim community that unfortunately most scholars are ill-equipped to be able to address because they spend most of their time just reproducing past works that were relevant 500 years ago, but they don't really address the issues today. And what what you just said right now hit the nail on the head because when I say it, a lot of these, sometimes I think Sheikh Harmer gets pissed off because, yeah, right. I, I, I mean, well, you, well, because you, I love you, you too much to get pissed off. Sometimes I do it in, I do it with, with not Malice. in, 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 in I, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't choose my words carefully. Let's just say, and, uh, I'm, I guess it's okay. I get frustrated, man, because you see all these like, like factories of, uh, of schools just creating. Uh, quote unquote scholars and and some of them we know like are not part of those factories. I mean they've uh, they've done amazing things. I mean all all the people we've met throughout the uh, since since starting the podcast. But it's become beyond frustrating that um, we don't have we're ill equipped with real like students of knowledge who have actually gone beyond uh, who have taken the works of their teachers and actually built on top of it. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of people are just referring back to the past and just kind of living there. And now you see, for example, 
some of the problems that happened with the, with the whole UK scandal with the, the this fake Rocky who was also an Instagram celebrity and he's I don't know if you heard so you, that you, was the background of what you guys yeah. just showed me with, so, with yeah okay so I've, now I'm getting it because you guys just told me Rocky I was like well, I don't get what yeah okay, yes okay, okay, so okay. this I don't you, are you, do you know the background of the story not really but I just told you the UK is messed up sorry Dilly Hussein <laughs> <laughs> I mean you guys try to like throw shade at us yeah we, we don't got like Rockies for the we don't yeah. I mean who's dumb enough to go to a Rocky who's like 25 yeah <laughs> so right, at least have some they, what they mean by Rocky is not the boxer they mean Rocky <laughs> someone who does Rocky yeah <laughs> Rocky so yeah for, for the English speaking audience for and I think most American Muslims probably don't even yeah. know what a Rocky is yeah a Rocky is someone who performs an exorcist yeah. Um, and it's not well maybe it can be kind of like the Christian type of exorcism but um, there are many different practices in, yeah. in performing this depending on which school of thought you follow and, and all that but you what, what we're but getting back to your yeah. point so can, can I just chime in yeah. on that a little bit look in when we go through a subject you know we call it in English evolution of fiqh right. Arabic, we call it tariq al-tashir islami how the sharia came to what is being how it evolved right there are certain phases of the Sharia, and I think I think I agree with partially with what you said, right? I'm not going to give you a hard time for that. I completely agree with you. What the scholars of you know fi- history of fiqh believe in is that we went through a phase and we're kind of in that phase called Jumud al-Fikri, where our minds have become frozen. We haven't done anything new. Yeah. Because what 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 you're saying is actually what you think is uh, progressive is what's actually still happening. I'll give you an example. Right, without getting into how the usul of the majority of the of the scholars uh, of the jurists was in the past, and the minority being Abu Hanifa, but after the Quran and the Sunnah, what the next generations did was, the first generation, the first phase, was basically we call known as Ahd al-Risala, right? Yeah. The years of Risala, meaning when Muhammad from the age of forty, because before that, that's not Sharia. From the age of 40 to the day that he passed away, that's when the Sharia had closed as far as the Quran is concerned, right? And his life. Now, the next generation would be the people who are going to build off of and extrapolating from the Quran and Sunnah. That's second phase. You can call that all the way from the time of the Sahaba to the beginning of the Tabi'een, basically, and like Imam Abu Hanifa and all them. What they did was they built sciences off of that phase, in that phase. And they bought about methods of extrapolations from the Quran and Sunnah to the people, right? Mm-hmm. That phase always continued, but what started happening was people were no longer equipped by extrapolating from the Quran and Sunnah because they're distanced from it now. It's almost like an inevitable thing. We're talking about aging. That's why I love these two conversations. This is the natural inevitability of aging, right? Is that people, since they're so distant from the Quran and Sunnah, they can no longer extrapolate because the main tools were what our forefathers, Imam Hanifa, Imam Malik, Rahimahullah, Imam Shafi, Ahmed Muhammad. So what the students started doing was, whatever Imam Hanifa explained, the students would explain that. The next generation, the students of the students of Imam Hanifa would explain a certain text. So there's like a triple explanation, what they call like a triple hashiyah, like a triple explanation of a book. And they would keep adding on, and they're not bringing anything new. Now there's pros and cons to that, obviously, right? But that's one of the criticisms that people had, is that we're not adding anything new. But the question that you asked is, how do you add something new? Is only with contemporary issues as right. they come about, and we use those same principles and apply them to contemporary issues in usul. That's what usul is, right? Now, 
what you're what you're asking what I just tried to demonstrate for you was on a juristic and academic scholarly level of how the minds have become frozen. Now, believe it or not, some people believed, and I I, I understand what they mean by that. Sheikh Albani, rahimahullah, right? From a lot of people, he gets a lot of slack, right? Because he was a muhaddith and uh, he was a scholar of hadith, and people would. And he naturally somebody who goes through lots of hadith, they're gonna come up with their own ideas of what's halal and haram, and kind of students are gonna spread it out to the masses. But what he did was the beautiful thing in his life that he did was he reversed the phase of people talking about fiqh. And how did he do that? He literally was almost the starter of this, the fire starter of this, of taking books on fiqh and uh, 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 editing them and. Uh, citing hadith from where they are and then classifying them. People had a problem with him classifying hadith too. We're not going to get into that. Yeah. But what he did was, and we can't fail, no matter how much you disagreed with him, is you have to understand he revolutionized the direction that the ummah was going in as far as unfreezing the brains to a certain degree. Yeah. And how did he do that? Every book he can find and his students, and it became a whole culture. Anytime we find something, we're going to cite the hadith not only cite it, but classify it too. That stopped in the ummah for a long time because people didn't want to go near that. Yeah. A lot of the books mm -hmm. in fiqh are written to be kind of like decoded, and the Hanafis are known for this. The books are not, just because you understand Arabic, it doesn't mean you're going to understand what they're saying. Mm -hmm. It's decoded, it's in a way that they, they did that by design, so not some average person can pick up the book and teach it. It had to be a specialized person. So let me get Man, into yeah, what No, I'm but I'm just saying that, I'm not talking about Albani, I'm, uh, no, no, I'm, no. I'm, I'm talking I'm, about I'm like talking everyone about, else. Yeah, I know. So what I'm saying now is, that the reason why people are like that for a few reasons, right? And we can get a Sheikh Albani's story later, but I hope you guys understood what yeah. I'm talking about, right? He's reversing that phase, or attempted to, and tried to, and I think it, it's uh, reversing, reversing to a certain degree still. Um, but that being said, everybody had studied from those institutions where the brains were frozen. And imagine a lot of the best uh, uh, schools that are in this in our time period now and we're in the past 50 years you couldn't talk about contemporary issues right the sheikh said something really beautiful like it totally opened my mind when we were driving here uh dr Ghilan, when we were driving here he's he's he said the sun is rising from the west when you think of that you think of yom qiyamah right but we were looking at the masjid masjid dar salam and it was huge and they're working on this big project and he looked at it he's like you know, the sun's rising from the west. You know, back home, you can't even make dua to a certain degree about certain content. Or I can't remember what you said. I want to butcher what you said. Yeah, you can't make a dua without going to jail. Yeah, <laughs> right? And over here, it's completely different, right? Um, so people have went to institutions in those circumstances, right? And which is why people, when they come to America, they feel like it's a breath of fresh air. We can say whatever we want. I talked to an imam the other day, and he was saying the same thing. He's like, man, when I came to America... I always felt like I was liberal. I could talk about whatever I want. I don't have to look over my back. And that's the environments that people come from, right? You, on the other hand, you have this concern, which is a great concern. No one's going to disagree with you. There's certain things that scholars should uh, be talking about. I have a reply to that for, on two ways. I say that, number one, scholars are not going to be able to address everything contemporarily um, uh, that, that people have a dilemma with as far as uh, new, like even nootropics, right? Yeah. Brain vitamins. Someone was asking a scholar. I'm not joking. 
because I was talking about nootropics. There was another scholar there. This is like five years ago. Uh, scholar, what, what, do you, what do you think about nootropics? He's like, what's nootropics, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, but you're a scholar. You should know this stuff, right? No, but look, look um, Joe Bradford, he was just yeah. right now in our chat, and I'm just going to use him as an example. Came up with mindwasthere.com. Yeah. You know, and some innovative way to make make uh, Islamic wills easier for Muslims in the West. Yeah. Right? No, no, no. See, that's the thing. That's what I'm I'm saying is is not jiving here. I think a lot of people aren't understanding that um You don't have to say a lot of people to say you're not understanding. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I think well, no, most I people do, don't really understand what innovation really means. I, I think um why is it that, that Western schools produce the most innovative students in the world meaning i'm not and i'm not saying it because like you know americans are superior or, or or whatever but i'm saying that there's a certain style of learning and teaching that or creativity that is taught in the west that allows um uh that that and that just allows uh, innovation to flourish i think uh, among their students, why is it that that all the, the despite all the technology that was available to China, to the Russians, and to the Americans, everything being equal, that the Americans thought of Facebook, they thought of you know Google, and you know all the major technological breakthroughs that happened uh, in the world, the the same facilities were available to these other companies, but they they didn't take. The, the stage they didn't but build how, the platforms like the, there's an irreverence in the american spirit towards tradition that's why yeah you think that but alone it is i, I think there's, there's it, they train you that way like it, it part of it is that I, at least i can yeah. tell you that like in north american tradition like in canada yeah. for example when i was doing my phd and just listen going to the seminars yeah what is your job in a seminar your job is to deconstruct the paper that's being presented figure out all the flaws what would you do to make it better how would you prove this point? Did they actually prove their point? You know, it's like, yeah. so there's this, and it doesn't matter uh, who said it. That was one of the first things I remember in my PhD uh, doing neuroscience. It was like, you have this kind of awe, and they take that awe away from you. Mm. But let me. But, let but me... I, w I would say your the credit I give you comes from like the the Western education system. I think the creativity that you uh, that allowed you to build the MohammedGilan.com platform, the brand Mohammed Gilan, the 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 Andalus Book Club, everything is as a result of um, Western. No, not everything is it's is is, is is I'm saying the creative the creative aspect is a result but of. But you said something Western key. You education. said brand, right? Yeah. A lot of the a lot of this is is pushed through the idea of money, and I'm not saying I'm not saying money is a bad thing. What I'm saying is. When you bring the element of money, it brings a different type of creativity. I'll give you a small example. I knew a guy that used to tag up walls when he was younger, right? Make, make like graffiti? Graffiti. Okay. And he said, I have to listen to music when I'm doing graffiti, right? Because music, it brings about, to many people, a certain type of creativity, whatever that is. I'm not talking about halalness and haramness right now of music. But what I'm saying is, nonetheless, when you in, in, induce an element into the people, it's going to bring something else as a type of creativity. Now, you said, you mentioned Facebook, you mentioned, yeah, those are awesome, awesome uh, um, engineering and things that are pushed by money and a certain type of greed for money. And again, just listen to me out because I don't, I don't want anyone to uh, misinterpret what I'm saying. But 
even though there's lots of benefit in Facebook, right? Let's just talk about Facebook because only old people now use Facebook. But Facebook, what did it actually do? It took the curiosity of the human being of prying into other people's lives. And exploited it. And exploited it, right? Yeah. So the 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 uh, uh, innovation that you're talking about, I agree. But what type of innovation is it bringing? It doesn't matter. I'm, no, I'm not. Say, I'm not saying it's a. It's a positive or a negative. And I'm not saying I'm, Facebook is haram either. No, no, I'm no. I'm, it's very money based. I think it, it, what, you, what you're referring to. But I'm, I, I think this, the same motivation factor is there for the Chinese or the Russians. I think they're all money based. Um, capitalist uh, markets. They're they're com- They're all going to have the same motivational force but behind they have their the creative setup the environment around them that's going to give them as much props if they come up with something I, I think so i think especially um the chinese more so more than the europeans i would say I, I can tell you like for me like how did i get my whole start up it was my mom it wasn't the western education or anything like that i was just i was literally in a context in a situation where i had been blocked completely banned from giving any khutbas any speeches any classes any lessons by a group of people who happened to control the muslim community through controlling the masjid and the controlling the chapel in the university and i was completely stopped from doing anything yeah to the degree where they even i was threatened to get campus security and the police even if i tried to say anything to anyone watched all the time and my mom just said go online like it, you don't have to and when i started getting online and started writing and, and producing the work i wasn't quote-unquote innovating in a sense i was just basically taking what i've been taught by my teacher and teachers that i studied with and just kind of showing people that there is more to islam than a myopic kind of restricted understanding of it that is black and white type of i don't want to i hate to use the term but that's how they refer to themselves selfie-esque kind of way of doing things and I wasn't producing anything necessarily new or coming up with anything that was totally novel. I was just basically going through the mainstream scholarship in Sunni Islam, saying these are what our scholars are telling us, and this is what's been uh, shown there. And I was, in a way, bridging. Allah gave me some tawfiq, I believe, alhamdulillah for it, to uh, see the relationship or see the, how to bridge, uh, create a bridge between if through the gap that people have. You know, when you go through the Western education, it's it's devoid of spirituality, it's devoid of tradition, it's devoid of offer the divine, it's devoid of all of that stuff. And I'm just connecting it back to where is the valid points, and I'm just connecting it back to this one. I'm I think, just, the, I'm I think just, what the question is really like these books that you have in your book club, like most of them, I've never heard of some of these books until you brought yeah. them up, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like the connection between that Neil Postman book was about, about the, uh, is that Technopoly? Technopoly, yeah. You know, that was written in the 80s? Yeah, yeah. Or like how you pick that book and then, um, you know, basically connect it to... So I, from a young age, I was always a, an avid reader, okay. alhamdulillah. But I went through my teenage years where I just, you know, just stopped doing all that. And it was reignited by Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. Like just, uh, I was so inspired by just his ability to just quote all these people. And I started to get back into reading. And the way that I pick my books usually, I go to a used bookshop. And I go blinded. I just go through the sections and I just look hmm. through the titles. And I open up the table of content. If I see a title that attracts me, open up the title, uh, the book of uh, the t- the table of contents, and I look through the chapters. Maybe I'll read a couple. Of, I'll go through in the middle and see if there's anything interesting there. And if it captures me enough, then I'll take it. And out of the books that I read throughout the year, 
there are certain ones that speak to a perennial problem or to something that's really um, has a grip on society in a way and that it shapes its worldview, cosmologically speaking. And that's how I pick these books. So I see something like Technopoly, for example, and I see a connection between the influence of technology on Muslim practice. Mm. You know, how we decide our prayer times, how we decide all the yearly debates about did Ramadan start, did the new crescent been sighted, oh calculations, boy, all that stuff. <laughs> Not to get into it, but that, part, that thing is actually born out of an imperative that techno technology has imposed upon us all. You know, uh, yeah. the, the talk about, I mean, people say, what do we do with Eid al-Adha? And what about the Hajj and stuff? You know what? 500 years ago, people didn't know when they were celebrating Eid al-Adha and when Arafah was happening yeah. in Mecca because they didn't have the communication yeah. speed that we have nowadays. And yet now we kind of take it for granted that we just now have to coordinate and, and be in sync with what's happening in Saudi Arabia when people for probably centuries, for a century, uh, for centuries weren't doing so, for a millennia weren't doing so because yeah. they couldn't know. So that's why Technopoly came into the picture. Amusing ourselves to death when I covered that back in 2017. What's it called? Amusing ourselves to death. Oh, amusing. Okay, okay. Yeah, same author, Neil Postman. He's a social critic, a social commentator, but he has chapters in there talking about the news media, religion, and how like all of these, how entertainment has basically encroached into the way that we view the world and how we mm. interpret everything, and how even the news media itself started out and why we have this now imperative that we think if something happens across the planet somewhere that everybody must speak out against it and everybody has. And why do we believe nowadays that when I speak, when I declare something on Twitter or on Facebook and I write a post about it showing my indignation about something like I've done something? Hmm. You know, where does that come from? So these are the ways that I, like the books yeah. that I pick out are born out of that. I read, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm able to read quick enough that I go through a number of books per year. And then I just take out the ones that I think are gems. I think that this will re have people reevaluate the way that they think about things. Um, books that reorient you a little bit. Check your assumptions so that you can look into your religion. Uh, use your religion. My goal behind all of this, any of the work that I do, the ultimate goal is one. I want Muslims to look at the world through an Islamic lens. Mm -hmm. Evaluate and criticize through the Quran and the Sunnah. That's your basis. That's your foundation. Anything you see, is this right? Is this wrong? Should I go along with this? Should I not go along with this? All these evaluations, I don't want people to use any other means but the Quran and the Sunnah. Yeah. Even with anything else can be a tool. Science, it's a tool. Once it turns into and morphs into some sort of ideology where you start to declare what is I mean, there are some uh, philosophers now writing on circumcision, for example, and they're trying, they're actively pushing to try to pass, uh, get people to pass legislation against male circumcision. The sunnah practiced by Muslims for, uh, and Jews mm -hmm. and uh, since, uh, from yeah. Ibrahim Alayhi time, and now they're trying, and they're using science as a moral kind of compass yeah. to use it. That's scientism. Okay, we got a problem. You, you're using it as an ideology, and it's no longer a tool. Yeah. Uh, critical race theory, this whole debate that come back and forth oh, and they yeah. rise up and down, CRT. Our hot Again, topic over chicken. Well, it's a tool. It's <laughs> yeah. a great tool. But then yeah. when you start moving it from a tool into an ideology and now everything has to be evaluated through that and judged through that, okay, now you've got a problem. You've turned it into something that it's not meant to be. It becomes, it becomes like if everything, if, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, uh -huh. right? Yeah. So I want people to just, uh, all the books that I choose and all the work that I do and any writings that I have and any podcast that I record is just to try to get people to check back and go, you should have, in, at the immediate offset in your mind, you should have a relationship with the Qur'an 
that's constant. That's not just Ramadan specific. You should be reciting the Quran on a daily basis and working to reorient your brain so that anytime something comes up, uh, comes up to you, anything you see, the first thing that should pop into your mind is some verse from the Quran or some hadith that you yeah. studied. And then you, that's your starting point. Um, when we talk now about like uh, the renewal of the tradition and stuff, I'm just starting to review a book by Imam Mikhail uh, Smith, Mikhail Ahmed Smith, uh, with the heart in mind. It's published by Qalam Books, and I think um, they're just waiting to get the public release uh, soon. It was such a breath of fresh air to go through this text. I was expecting him because it's all it's on the emotional and moral intelligence of the Prophet Oh, really? That's what the book is about. And I'm starting the book thinking that he's going to go through some stories, some things about the Prophet ﷺ and how he dealt with some Sahaba and, and just kind of highlighting, oh, look how there was emotional intelligence there and caring about feelings and, and concern and all that. That's what I thought about when I saw that book. I was that's like, you uh, you know this, is gonna, this is one of those books that's going to make you know the Prophet is so nice. This book cute. starts off with that's an what introduction on what aql is. First ah. of all, what is intelligence? And what is intellect? And he starts off by talking about John Locke and Rene Descartes and the approach that they had, Francis Bacon and his approach to science. And then he contrasts that with uh, Imam al-Muhasibi and Imam al-Ghazali. And he talks about the three different levels of intellect that Imam al-Muhasibi had. Like that's section it's one cool, yeah. is just on the intellect. I'm reading this. I'm like, I just, I pulled out. I'm thinking I'm going to highlight just yeah. a few things and stuff. That book, the first like, 50 pages that I've went through just on my flight here, it was just like dog ears and highlights and underlines and notes and notations yeah. and stuff. I can't wait to write. To write you guys need to, when this well, book comes out, shout out to Imam uh, Mikhail. This yeah. was a, such a, I was so, he's like, it's been a while since I was like, I got to meet this guy. Inshallah, we'll invite like, him on after. It's such reads, a brilliant book. Maybe he can so send us a copy. It's coming up. It's, uh, these things uh, three are happening. copies. One copy. These things are happening. Muslims are able to do work that is unique, that yeah. is relevant, that speaks to. But again, from the perspective of the Quran and the Sunnah. Yeah. yeah. Well, you see, emotional intelligence has become such a buzzword, and people have become skeptical. Well, people like me, at least, have become a little bit skeptical of, of words that are just, you know, thrown around in the media and, and just talk. I'll give you an example Sorry, of emotional you know, intelligence of the Prophet. So everybody knows about, uh, there's a difference in opinion, not everybody, but many of the students know there's a difference in opinion about when you go intern to a masjid on Friday, on Jum'ah, and the imam is already standing, do you pray sunnah, tahiyat al-masjid, or no? The Shafi'is will tell you, no, you got to pray. Because there was a hadith, the Prophet the man came in and he said, did you pray? He said, no. He told him, get up and pray. Qum And the Maliki say, no, you don't. You don't get up and pray. You just sit down. There's actually an explanation for why the Malikis have that position. That man was one of the poor uh, ones in Medina, one of the, those in poverty, outside of Medina even. And he came in late to Juma. So he came in and he entered and he sat down, which is the practice. The practice was if the Prophet is standing given the khutbah, you sit down. So he وسلم, first of all, didn't assume that he didn't pray. Even though the man came right in front of him and sat down, he still asked him, did you do this? So that's lesson number one. Don't trust your own eyes when you see someone doing something or not doing something. Confirm. Don't just go into the accusatory kind of approach. Lesson number two, he saw salam after the prayer ended, went to the well-to-do well companions and he asked them, did you guys see the guy that I told to get up and pray? 
he's in need. Go and give him. So instead of calling him out, hey guys, who's in need? Expose yourselves. Show me who's in poverty so that I can have these rich companions come and give you some sadaqah, some charity. He didn't do that. There was a subtlety to the Prophet ﷺ to maintain the dignity of people and their, their izzah, their karama, their dignity. So I don't want to put you out like that. Show you that, put your hand out so that I can give you something. That's why in the sunnah when you give sadaqah, you don't give it with your hand above. They're supposed to take it from you because they're doing you a favor. That's emotional intelligence. That the those in poverty are not put out in a way where they feel smaller. Hmm. That's the same reason why you mentioned as far as that's the same reason why the Hanafis believe that it's it's you know, you if the Imam is already on the mimbar, then you sit down. Yeah. Because the reasoning of Rasulism, look at this man, he's you know, disheveled, he's <laughs> make sure you help him out after the salah. Yeah. You know, and the last point I want to bring up is just what Sim was saying, where I completely agree with you, man. Is uh, I know it seems oversimplistic, but um, I think the creativity that's been taken away from the Muslim Ummah is not by coincidence, right? Creativity existed in the Muslim Ummah before. Mm. It's not just a creativity, though. It's a uh, it's co it's compounded with uh, confidence. Con it, you're right. Belief in yourself to do something. I guarantee you, there's other people who've thought of. Many of the similar Colonial ideas. That, I agree I mean, with you. But the, the individual doesn't believe in themselves to actually go about I agree pursuing it. And, uh, you know, they in the face of poverty. You yeah. Know? And I'm going to go even farther to say uh, on a more metaphysical level is because um, the level of belief and understanding and relationship we have with Allah, I think, has a lot to do with that, too, as an ummah. Yeah. As a people, we can't take that out of the equation either, you know. And uh, and the, and as believers or realists, we know that if Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is dissatisfied with us, the whole world can be dissatisfied bro, uh, with us. Just know? recently, I had a little job scare, and uh, it was one of the reasons why Madam Luke has been publishing episodes as much. But um, it, it teaches you how little faith you have, like. It lights a fire in it. It shows side. you, like you, you, everyone, you know, talks about, you know, oh, you know, I have faith in Allah, and but then when you, when you really get the ground shaking underneath you, oh, yeah. then you're just like, oh man, I'm so far away from mm -hmm. where I need to be. And then you actually realize, like, man, like you get, you start getting depressed, and then you realize, like, man, this whole time, Allah Subhanahu wa was taking care of you, and. Yeah. um and, and you for, you went on to worry about many other different problems related to the podcast or related to your kids and and other things, but you, this was you you took your job and your your income for granted, mm. and it was it was something just uh, was a given, you know that Allah's gonna keep on providing. And just the moment some issues happen with work, yeah. then you're like, oh my god. Everything's over. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be poor and I'm gonna be broke, and yep. all these fears start rolling in, and it, a lot of anxiety comes into play. And then you realize, like, oh man, I, I haven't built myself stronger than than I thought I was. But but the beautiful thing about that thought yeah. is, you said I haven't built myself. But that's the beautiful thing. You having that thought means that Allah put you through that to make you stronger. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like a du'a. Mm. 
It's like you weren't taking care of yourself. That happens to all of us. Exactly. And it's, it's a form of, of love. It's a it, form of it love is. that Allah is giving you, Allah but you don't realize love. you're like, it is. you're like, oh, you man. You wanted training? I'll give it to you, but you're not going to like it for a little bit, but I'll take mm. care of you. Yeah. You know, it's me. I'm your creator. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's mm. what he's addressing to. And that's what happens, man. And you, especially with monetary issues, bro. Whenever you have, the first thing you think about is your kids, bro. That's all you think about. Yeah. Right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has his way of working with us, man. And that's why he says, فَبَشِّرَ الصَّابِرِينَ Give glad tidings to those who are patient, right? Yeah. Musiba yeah. I want to segue because in the um on the car ride over here, Sheikh Amar was really asking the doc about like physical fitness. So people don't know. Um, it's a great segue. You know, <laughs> no, a like, segue. Is, he's a king of segues. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, listen, we gotta. He has one too. Yeah. A lot of stuff going on. I remember there was this episode with Joe, and he he made this abrupt segue, and Joe's like. What a what a segue! <laughs> he owns a segue too. You know, because it's but, like, um, so you used to be a personal trainer back in the day, back yeah. when you used to sell like used cars too. Yeah, yeah. You're a used car salesman and a personal trainer. Yeah. <laughs> Hustle, man! <laughs> what a story! You when you were telling me that, I was like, I kind of remember the whole personal trainer thing, but I never knew about the selling used cars. I, was like, I know they must use cars from another from an interview. So before. We interviewed you for the very first time. I heard you on some other platform. Yeah. Like, I don't think it exists anymore. So, yeah. No, I, I used to sell. Um, I used to work at GNC, General Nutrition Center. Yeah. Oh, so I was one of those guys. Oh. I was one of those Always guys, trying to right? sell you supplements. <laughs> <laughs> hustling the overpriced pills. The, exactly. Anyways. So, you got to get that protein and get the next one half price off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I did that. And then there was this guy that used to come to the store. And he was friends with the manager. And he's always wearing suits. And he was always decked out. And, I asked him, like, what does he do? And, you know, as these things go, and it's like, oh, he sells cars. I'm like, oh, it sells cars? Like, well, do you have to go to school for that? Because at the time, I'm thinking, these are big ticket items. Like, you can't just, I thought of it like real estate. You got to get a license to sell real estate. So maybe you need, like, some sort of thing to sell cars. Mm-mm. He's like, no, just come into the dealership, <laughs> talk to the manager, and just see if you can get a job. So I went in, and literally the first thing the manager said, I don't even have one, but he, sh- he gave me a big pen, and he's like, sell me this. That was part of the interview. Sell me this big pen. So, you know, you look at the big pen, it's like blue color. I'm just like, oh, so you got this lid, it's blue, so that when you're writing, you can actually see the thing, the contrast between the white paper. And it's got this nice lid. It's got a little extension here so that you can put it in your pocket so it doesn't go in. And the lid is really great so that the ink doesn't seep into your pocket and then create a little puddle there. So, mm. so I started to go into that. I was like, all right, so you have a job. And um, the next day, I sold three cars in one day. Oh, man. And wait, 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 hey, how, uh, wait, what did you answer with the, how did you try to sell him the big pen, though? That was the answer. Just, uh, that was, was the, the answer. answer. I just got into this <laughs> bit about, like, the properties of the pen. Oh, and uh, the I would have just taken his pen away, and I said, now you need a pen. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, a good one. <laughs> so I did that, and then when I started the next day, I sold three cars. It was like a $1,200 commission or something, and a day's worth of work. I was like, man, this is, this is what you got to do. And it's like, yeah, we got accountants, we got lawyers, we got people here that are working selling cars, because... You can make more money doing it if you're really good at it. So I dropped out of school and I dropped out of GNC yes, and I started yeah. selling cars. I was like, this is great. I didn't know this about the doc. Yeah, so I started What a selling. typical Arab thing to do. So start selling. <laughs> what a what, Where did <laughs> that come from? Dude? <laughs> no, every Arab I knew uh, kind of growing up was a So I started selling uh, Pontiac and... Um, uh, uh, okay, we sell slurpees. Uh, GMC. Yeah. Oh, okay, like so American cars. American Hugo's. cars, yeah, yeah. I started selling American cars. It was yeah. brand new cars at the start. Uh-huh. And then I got into a little bit more of incorporating selling used cars as well. And then I moved around. And and uh, part of the 
the initial time of me doing that, I was because I was in GNC, I was also doing personal training and continued while I was selling cars at the start. And yeah, so I had my certificates and stuff, and I was getting clients. And can you please get me in shape for the wedding and all that kind of stuff? So I was gotta just go doing party soon. Yeah, I gotta go party. Summertime, yeah. you my beach body. Exactly. I got a trip to Vegas coming up. I need to look good for the pool. I was like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> but what I want to pry your brain about is you mentioned something interesting in that car ride. I always was I was under the impression that at up up to the age of forty, you really can't gain muscle unless you take exogenous substances, but you can just retain what you have or you can maybe lose body fat. Um, but you mentioned, uh, uh, you said that there's a balance and everyone kind of has to find their own balance, but you said, no, it's a possibility to put on muscle mass after the age of 35, age yeah. of 40, and maybe not, excuse me, at an accelerated rate than if somebody was just... There was a guy in our gym who was 60 years old and he started bodybuilding at 60 years old. Whoa. It was like, I think he retired and he's like, I want to do something, so he started working out, lost the fat, got in shape, started entering competitions for like senior bodybuilding. Yeah. I was winning them. Cool. What? So, so yeah. muscle mass can be put on. And uh, the other thing I want to ask you is like, what about like uh, doing like rigorous training, like kind of like MMA training or that kind of stuff that doesn't really build muscle, but what it does that do for somebody over are. the age of 40? It depends on what your goals are. Mm. So you have to, you have to clarify, what do I want? Mm. I think it's more important to be functional than to necessarily just look good. Yeah, it's cosmetic. Bodybuilding yeah. is cosmetic. Yeah, but if, let's, just... if we can kind of move into, because I'm really interested about at our ages, between the age of you know 38 and 40 or whatever yeah, the case yeah. is, how at this point can we actually start putting on muscle mass if we want to without having a crazy regime of eating like six times a day and all that stuff? Well, all the eating stuff, I think diet is really dependent. It's, it's individual. So you have mm. to find out what works for you. Some people... They need to have six meals a day. It's not like a one rule for everybody. Some people, they work better with intermittent fasting. Some people work better with two meals a day. So can you put on uh, mass if you're intermittent fasting? Yeah. Really? Yeah, because it's just a matter of how do you train, when do you train, the frequency if you're training as well. There's some like hard and fast rules. So if you want to put muscle mass on, this is more of a volume and frequency kind of issue. So you don't go into the gym and you just lift really heavy weights, two, three reps, and then leave and then expect, I'm going to get big now. Because that's more of a nervous system activation. You're just trying to move the weight around. Um, you'll get some size from it. But if you really want to maximize your muscle mass, this is more of uh, you should hit the same muscle group once every 48 to 72 hours. So if you're going to do legs, I would say the best routine I would do is like a upper body, lower body split. Hmm. Monday, Wednesday, Friday kind of a thing. So Monday upper, Wednesday lower, Friday upper, Sunday lower, and so on and so forth. And what about just, cardio? What about cardio during this time? You could do cardio staggered on the days that you're not doing weights. You could do cardio in the evening. You could do it mm. in the morning. Um, the best cardio to do would be low intensity stuff. Um, you'll get more results out of it. You'll burn more fat. Yeah. It takes longer. So what I do with the low intensity stuff is um, I uh, do it while I listen to either podcasts or uh, listen to a lecture that I need to listen to, or if I'm doing my Anki deck, if I'm reviewing something for medical school, we have these uh, electronic decks that we do, mm -hmm. flashcards. So if I'm doing that, um, I'll do that while I'm doing my low intensity cardio, which takes about an hour. It's like uphill, 15 degree incline, 3.5 kind of miles per hour speed. And I'll just do that if I'm trying to lose weight. Um, but the high intensity stuff, that burns you out faster. Yeah. So I wouldn't do that too often. Maximum, if you want to do that, twice a week. And how much truth is that HIIT? People say that if you just had carbs right now or a lot of calories, that's the best time to do uh, HIIT, high intensity and total training, because it will burn that off a lot faster. Uh, it's, 
again, I think it's it, it uses this approach of the body's a machine, and they'll mm. come up with some studies to try to prove that point. Gasoline in and out kind of thing. At the end of the day, your body has uh, glucose running through your system all the time. There's reserves. The liver stores a good amount of glucose that it can release at, at on point whenever you need it. Even if you're in ketosis? Yeah. Probably? Yeah. yeah. Well, if you go into ketosis, it loses some of that. But even when you eat just fat that can be converted <laughs> and changed into glucose as well. So it's it's all about chemistry that just changes back and forth. That's awesome. That, I knew that the, some the people The cool like... thing about that, glucose and all that, it's not essential for you to have it because your body can make it. Yeah. It's just a biochemical reaction that your body with just some enzymes can switch protein by taking some functional groups off and adding some other functional groups on. Same thing with fatty acids. It can do the same thing and change it and make it into glucose yeah. if you need it for energy. And if you guys think that this is drowning out into something very technical, let me no, know. No, I, I got some follow-up questions too, but I'm, I want to I let you just, finish. Yeah, just so, <laughs> so like I didn't know that fat can turn into, uh, I'm not a doctor, but I always heard this term of like gluconeogenesis where so if you gluconeogenesis, eat too much protein, gluco, So break it down. Gluconeogenesis, generating new glucose, mm -hmm. right? So that's how you generate it from something else. Yeah. Glycolysis. Yeah. Glycolysis. So yeah. to break down glycogen. So this is how, so you could do that. Your body can do that back and forth. Yeah. You don't turn fat into muscle. Hmm. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. But if you get fat, you just burn it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's how it works. So what about when people say that if you actually overdo the protein, it can actually take you out of ketosis because, or is that just like a, a new, like people? It can because the protein can be converted to glucose. Can it actually kick you out? Yeah. If it's not being used. If it's not being used. Mm. If it's not being used. And there is a limit to how much protein you can use per sitting kind of a thing. So if you're going to consume protein, there's an upper limit for how much protein you can have in one meal before it can kick you out of, of ketosis. Okay. Because your body can only process so much at a time. Yeah. And the other question I had was some people, they say that um, if you're in ketosis, you can't put on mass because your body is, your muscles are kind of depleted of glucogen. Glycogen. Glycogen. And so it's, it's... You'll just look flat. You'll do, you'll look flat. So muscles store glycogen. And if you're depleted from that, you'll just have a flatter look to you. And if you have... So if you look at bodybuilders, what they do is they have a carb loading week before they go into competition. And mm -hmm. that's basically because they've been depleting, depleting, depleting. They look really flat. And then a week, about a few days prior to the competition itself, they start loading up on the carbs. And that's to build up their glycogen stores. And with glycogen comes water. Mm. And the water gets uh, stored into the muscle. And so the muscles look, bellies, like they look really full. Yeah. So they look even more ripped. Even if they just have the fat on their body, they look more cut because their muscles are now fuller. Mm. Is like the water effect, you said? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, wow. you mentioned functional fitness. So what's your take on CrossFit? <laughs> wow, wife, I like the laugh. My wife and I, my wife and I have a, a long going debate about that. She's a CrossFit like. Oh, she likes CrossFit. Oh, she can win competitions. CrossFit really, kind of thing. Yeah, she's big onto that. CrossFit stuff. Um, she's big onto CrossFit. My issue with CrossFit is um, uh, turning power exercises into endurance uh, training things. Mm. Now, if you talk to some those who are in the know of it. They'll tell you there's differences between boxes, like the, the particular CrossFit gym is called a box. Right. So depending on the trainer there, if they know what they're doing, they're not going to put you into an injury kind of facilitating situation. Um, but you can tell, like, when I watch her deadlift, for example, she'll do, like, some heavy weights, mashallah, it's great. But to do the volume that cross, CrossFit um, requires of you... You could tell like after the fifth and the sixth rep, your form is starting to kind yeah, of yeah. And it's a dangerous exercise to begin with. 
some trainers are more savvy with this and they won't make you put you through that. So I think you just have to be careful with the trainer that you're with. Make sure you choose your trainer wisely. And I think that maybe goes with anything. Yeah. Choose your sheikh wisely. Choose your trainer wisely. Choose yes, your doctor yeah. wisely. Uh, <laughs> just m confirm that this person doesn't have a bad track record. <clears throat> the people that go to them, look at the results. You want to know if somebody knows what they're doing? Look at the members of that particular box. Are they benefiting? Are they are they having a lot of injuries? If they're having a lot of injuries, and that means they're doing something wrong. Right. So as a principle, it's it's great, you know. And and a lot of their exercises are actually, you watch the CrossFit guys that they're the ones that do it right. They can move, man. They can. They they have functional strength. It's not like in the gym when you're like we went hiking when we were in Vancouver. Uh, on Lindemann Lake in Chilliwack. It's a beautiful hike going up, but the way that you're going and moving about in the trail, it's a they call it an intermediate difficulty trail. Hmm. You're doing lunges to go up certain hills and stuff, but you're doing it at like really strange angles, yeah. which you wouldn't do it in the gym. And so your body wasn't made to move in a gym kind of... It's too perfect of like, it's no, you're too, not going to... Yeah. It's too sanitized. Yeah. The gym is too sanitized. Like you're, That's why even in the gym now, they're having these T-Rex uh, uh, belts and stuff, and they're doing... And it's better to use cables because there's all this free range of motion. And But to have these machines and to do these like calculated movements and stuff, I'm starting to switch my workouts around a little bit to incorporate more of like, let's just do a bit more angle or angular work and yeah. this kind of... But, you know, doing a little bit more of this concentrated type of stuff to if you want to shape yeah. a muscle a particular way and target it in a particular way, okay, that's good. But CrossFit can be beneficial. I think it's, I think everybody knows what they what works for them. Yeah. You know what I thought was really good type of training, like a good hybrid between like bodybuilding and CrossFit with like strongman competitions. I yeah, love watching Strongman is like actually That's like one of my favorite entertainment yeah. on YouTube, bro. Strongman <laughs> is like CrossFit on steroids. Yeah. And yeah. I think that you don't have to go that heavy, but it's literally like somebody told me something and they said just lift heavy objects off the ground like you would, like you have a box. And that's yeah. kind of like everyday movement. It was do it heavier and do, if you want to do it with reps. And I kind of changed like the way I kind of thought about lifting is because if you just think about bench pressing, I'm not saying it's not beneficial, yeah. especially with people with muscle loss and you just want to build up your muscle or whatever the case is. And um, But it's too perfect of a movement. You're not really going to use... When do you ever in yeah. your regular life yeah, do a movement Even in punching, like people have, an, uh, yeah. an, an, they have a misconception where you use your chest in punching. No, chest That's is almost like a stabilizer. It's your back and legs. Yeah, it's your back and like the whole movement of yeah. your body turning your kinetic hips. energy. Yeah, yeah, hips. And same thing like in wrestling. You're not you're going to develop some muscle, but you have to use yeah. your hips a lot, especially yeah. for like throwing. And all. So I, it started to make me think. I was like, dude, the, what seems really cool so, to me is kind of like... Strongman competition coupling it with some. I think some... the issue is people think because uh, they want to look a certain way and they think yeah. bodybuilding is a way to get to that, but yeah. they don't realize that it's not the bodybuilding style of training that makes you look like that. Mm. It's the diet. Oh, you have to lose the fat for you to show. Some of those powerlifters look like fat. They're all. Oh, some of them are very fat. Yeah, because they just eat. They just they just eat. But you don't have to eat like twelve thousand calories. You don't have to eat like. They that, end up man. looking good like a few d a couple weeks before the competition is when they start losing all the water weight. Right? Yeah. Is, it, is it like a, maybe a month? <clears throat> yeah. And then they, they drop that. all that water. And then all there's their... a lot of CrossFit guys, a lot of uh, MMA training type of thing, a lot of strongmen who who eat clean. 
and they look just as good. They, they look fit. Yeah. They don't look, but it's, I don't know. I think it's kind of silly to look big and have all that muscle. And then you can't even, properly. you can't even lift like a carton of eggs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just, just, the chest muscles are so big that yeah. no, no. Wasn't there something about was that some, thing like some... walking around like this? You want to let? No, but wasn't there some something in the past? <laughs> I've seen my share of those guys. That was back in the eighties. <laughs> no, wasn't there some? I remember somebody mentioning something that there was some guy whose mindset was so built on building like uh, really, really heavy, like basically bodybuilding on such a high level. And he was taking like steroids. It was like, he was all mentally in and all like psyched up about it, that he didn't have proper coordination to like lift up chairs and stuff. Like yeah, that. yeah, right. Yeah, they did also uh, a thing with uh, it was like an experiment thing. Can we take bodybuilders and have them put them on a football field? Oh yeah. And how would they perform against footballers? Nothing. Yeah. You know, the two hundred and sixty some odd pounds of muscle that they can't really coordinate properly because you're sitting in a machine and you're just activating that one muscle. But you're not actually engaging the rest of it. Like yeah. you need to, uh, yeah. They some of them squat and some of them do these things, and it helps them a little bit. But I think functional training is superior yeah. to just doing straight bodybuilding stuff just for cosmetics. But that's kind of the culture that we live in. It's all about the look. Yeah, you know, look a certain way, appear yeah. a certain way to society. But what is that ba- based on? That's probably what CrossFit has done. I think done a good job at least for women, because like they've made like have women with muscle. Appealing to women, right? Yeah, because because it's not necessarily because if you look at CrossFit female athlete, she wouldn't like necessitate. I mean, necessarily be the model of an attractive female. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, back to that though, because I actually I do go to a box, even though okay. I don't look like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, because like probably because my diet is trash, and we can talk about that. Okay. Um, but like what I've learned to do is just. You know, when you're in the workout of the day, the wad, it's time based a lot of times, yeah, right? Yeah. But I just pace myself, right? Yeah. Like no the the coach isn't like on you, like you're not doing enough reps. Yeah, yeah. Like they are on form. And that's one thing I have noticed. Okay. That's good. cool. You yeah. know, but, but I but there is a guy that died in the middle of a workout. Straight up died. But that was like the valve, I think, heart valve pop. Okay. I think that's that pretty A lot of people go to the ER because of too much there was like muscle toxicity. It's something Break about down, um, the muscles breaking down too fast. Myelosis. I, I don't know yeah. what it's My wife story. told me it's a pre like... it's, it's a pre existing condition that the people have but they don't know about it. Yeah, yeah. And he was doing pull ups and he literally just dropped on Young the one, guy? Yeah, no thirty eight. Was this in your gym? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, he must have had cardiac hypertrophy, like hyper hyper uh, myopathy. Yeah, cardiac myopathy. He was like one of the regulars. He's been going there for four or five years, like four or five, you know, four days a week. Um, Yeah, it happens. That's a genetic kind of a thing. So it's not necessarily you. You wouldn't blame the workout. No, no, you can't. I wouldn't say that. I was talking to one of the Mashaik, and he was like, "That's my, that's my, that's my thing. I'm never gonna work out again. My diet." No, what you you would say for that one is, it might have caused it for him. Yeah. But that's because he had a pre-existing. Like, if a patient comes to us and they have cardiomyopathy, yeah. So their heart is really hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Their heart is enlarged because of a genetic condition that they have, and they realize that, and because they fainted when they were running or doing something, and they do the test and they find out that's what they have. We tell them you can't work out anymore mm. because it will kill you. Is there a way you can get checked for that? Usually, well, it's too expensive to in, to do a program to get people to check. You can go to your doctor and ask them to check for it if you want, but okay. you'll have to pay for it out of pocket. Usually, the way that it's found out, it's like a 20-some-odd-year-old um, athlete who just faints in the field somewhere. and Has they, to be fortunate he doesn't die. Yeah, and then they come to the – or they feel they feel dizzy and they feel kind of weird, and they come to the doctor to get it checked out, and they do the test, and they find out that, hey, your heart is a bit too big, and you can't do this anymore. 
Okay. Usually, though, it's, usually it's with marathon runners, more so than anybody else. But all the stories that you hear of, oh, a basketball player falls dead in the middle of a game or a football player just collapses or whatever, all of that is just a genetic pre-existing condition and this person didn't know about it. Yeah. I see. As far as the diet goes, we were talking over here that one of, so I was listening to, um, it's funny how we ended up on the same subject, you know, Jocko Willink, uh, self-development guy, ex-Navy SEAL. I was listening to this YouTube, it came across my feed, and I was like in the middle of some like really mind-numbing data analysis work mm. at work. <laughs> and uh, he's talking about like um, how to like react when your family isn't disciplined. And then okay. he was talking about like, don't blame like first of all you can't make your wife or your kids do anything right yeah. number one that doesn't just it just doesn't work like that that's a fallacy yeah uh, we were talking all the way over here about how like a lot of like myself i'll complain because uh, i'll tell you what i got at home in my fridge i got like leftover costco cake Mashallah. for my kid's second birthday oh, and i got like fried chicken wings and like a bunch of hershey's candy and stuff and i'll be like i can't work out because i can't get in shape because uh we got all these bombs at home yeah, yeah right yeah, yeah. easy there buddy so how, yeah. how would you respond to that how would you like? He meant food. That's what he meant. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, I have the same problem when the stuff is at home. But alhamdulillah, my wife is very clean with her food. And she, uh, I'm lucky in that her family in general, they're not into sweets. They That's like savory cool. things. Okay. So, I heard you and me have the same problem with Nutella. But so I don't have Nutella at home anymore. Yeah. There's no more Nutella. <laughs> Were you one of those um, guys that goes through the tubs of Nutella? Oh, yeah. I would sit there really? and watch. Uh, I would just go through the whole thing in one session. You used uh, a spoon? With a spoon, I just sit there. And was that an exaggeration? You remember? Really no, straight up, I was finished the whole. They used thing. to say they used to be a healthy thing, right? Healthy breakfast. They used to. I never believed that. I just yeah, took it because exactly. I knew. I was like, "Who are you kidding? It just tastes good." <laughs> um, but um, just generally speaking, if there's things at home that I I just can't do, I just try to watch myself, man, as much as I can. Um, and with time, I've gotten better at it. So last year, same time, be at home, like visiting my parents. I would have just uh, taken over the fridge and taken whatever is in it. But now I'm, I can go and I'm fine. I don't <laughs> okay. actually, you have to retrain your palate. The problem is your, our palates have been trained to take on bad food and associate pleasure with that. And so we just continue to do that. But the more you dissociate yourself from it. So when it comes to tea earlier, like for example, when we were asked, like, do you want sugar in your tea? And by the way, stevia is not a good substitute because it, really? it actually triggers your insulin the same way as, as sugar does it doesn't i would so say it triggers it, it makes it go sugar, high too, so like called, makes it raise so so-called sugar substitutes don't really what about honey honey is better mm. than stevia yeah really if you're gonna do something do honey it's because like i'll give you a small example like there's this a new combination that we got from costco it's called stevia and monk fruit yeah um Look, I think they guarantee Stevie is not better than the Sunil, okay? No, no, do that's, that's not what I'm saying, bro. Would you come yeah. down? <laughs> trying to make people feel uncomfortable with that bull's head on. It's the Raptors, huh? Yeah. But anyways. We the North. <laughs> but uh, but does it actually raise insulin? Too? Yeah, yeah, a lot of these sugar no substitutes. I, knew a lot of them did, I, thought, in, I thought that was the only one that didn't. What they do, I can't remember the exact um, mechanism that it does this, but it actually triggers your body to store more fat. Um, part of it is the insulin story. But yeah, it's not it's not a positive thing. Okay, so my missus is watching TV. Man, one of the listeners is asking what, what your thoughts are about coffee. 
Uh, do you encourage it? Discourage it? The, the early scholars, man. basically. Khamra al-Mu'minin. What are you going to uh, do? Yeah. The wine of the believers. Oh, I never heard that. Yeah, yeah. That's why I love this guy. Khamra al-Mu'minin. The wine of the believers. Uh, so, um, context was he thinks that some scholars in the past prohibited because so when it first like, was when it was first discovered it was because it was um, impacting the intellect in a way and they were uncomfortable with it and some to this day you'll find some scholars that still kind of go with that they won't drink tea they won't drink anything like that or like Mormon car Mormon converts basically like yeah, yeah so but no but like yeah it's um that's like a very early on opinion that's not really. It hasn't taken hold. So, w- what's your what? What do you like for coffee? Are you a bl- you're a black espresso guy? Depends. Um, recently, I've been just having a lot of cappuccinos. But, what about um, Arabic Turkish coffee? Yes, if I'm given a choice, it's Arabic or Turkish coffee. I love that. Is what I like. like just that strong, like really yeah, like yeah, thick with stuff. The, with the stuff. But on just the top. back to the sugar thick thing and retraining yeah. the palate for yeah, forget that. Sure. So, um, if you want to use anything, use honey. Even when it comes to baking, uh, organic maple syrup, honey to do this stuff. But don't go after these like sugar, like this white powder that you get. Avoid that. And I used to take in my coffee, it's like double, like two sugars, two sugars in everything. If you try to go cold turkey from that, your palate is not going to mm. accept it. And the other thing is your brain releases dopamine in anticipation of the sugar high that you get. So it's actually a feel good thing. So you can't just go cold turkey all of a sudden. I'm not going to have it. Your palate is not trained for it, and your brain is not going to like it. So you have to slowly remove that stuff from your diet. And that's what I did. I, was, I went down to a spoon and a half, and then to a spoon, and then to nothing. Now, if you give me... I, had, I went to uh, this place where they were serving a Somali coffee. Yeah. And they were like... Were there bananas in sugar? it? That's basically like sugar with some coffee. Yeah, sugar. Well, I bet you the sh- coffee had bananas Somali in it. Somali tea, actually. Somali <laughs> yeah. tea, and they're like, "Do you want some sugar in that?" I'm like, "No, no, no sugar, thanks." And I literally, I just took a sip, and it was like syrup. Like, what is this? Yeah, and the chai turns is out that they make it with sugar to begin with. Wow. Same thing <laughs> with traditional way of making Moroccan tea. Yeah, I, I don't know if you see, like, bro. they take a block of sugar crack, and put it inside the pot with along But with don't the you think you're kind of practicing? A little bit of extremism, Hulu. <laughs> I mean, Lord, you're a guy who's in shape, okay? I mean, whatever you, this this type of staunchness should be probably practiced by me and Sheikh Hamir here, but or even not mine. But you're pretty fit. Look, why, 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 why are you like so? If you go to traditional societies prior to all of this mass industrialization of and processing of food and the sugar, sugar epidemic yeah. that we have, like. Prior to the 50s, even people were not doing this, so we're taking for granted, like, oh, we have to have our sweets, we have to have our candy, we have to have our thing. But Don't you ever just want to bite into a kanefa? Actually, I, I caused a stir on Twitter when I said <laughs> unpopular opinion. You? Kanefa? Nah. Oh, shots fired. But, but okay, but, the, but okay, so you just talk about traditional societies, but this is Moroccan mint tea. Apparently, you can get an ijaza in, <laughs> in the Habayat, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? And I asked yeah. the guys who made it because I had some on Saturday night. And they were like, it's I, basically sugar with a little bit of tea. Yeah, I would like to know the, 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 I would like to see the history of the development of that. Because even modern traditional societies that have been impacted by modernity, you can't just take everything they do for granted because yeah. some things have been changed. So I would want to actually know when how. Sh- when the Senate, the sugar came in? I want the Senate before when the sugar was introduced <laughs> to that degree because that's just a little bit odd to me, to yeah. be honest. And the way that sugar is processed today, that's a new thing. That's not how sugar was b- brought about back in the day. That's not how they sweeten things. Yeah. 
So like my mother-in-law, she makes this amazing tea from her garden. Like she's got her own garden back in the backyard. She has all these herbs and stuff, and she and she adds uh, honey to it. It tastes it's it's sweet, but it doesn't give me the shivers, the shakes mm. that I get when I just have straight sugar in my coffee mm. or in my tea. So and I don't mind having a number of it, and I don't feel terrible at the end of having it or whatever. So, have you ever drank cold brew coffee? No, you yeah. you, not, you don't do cold brew. This stuff is awesome. And my for Eid, I got a gift, but I've been trying this for a while. But you basically steep regular coffee grounds yeah. in water for twenty four hours or forty eight hours, and it brews in, in cold. Okay. It's supposed to have a much higher caffeine. Co- it's not as acidic either. Oh, you might like it. Got, you actually probably don't need sugar. Should look for into it now. Cold yeah, brew coffee. Usually, it's great. Yeah, you to make it at home is really simple. You get any coffee ground, put it in. You know, you put like a a fourth of a cup for about four to five cups, and you only need half a cup of the actual. Just call it syrup that yeah. it forms. Add half a cup of water to that. Add a splash of milk or almond milk, whatever. Oh, it interesting. Is. All yeah, right. Cold now, brew. Now that we're. But just to finish <laughs> up, when you retrain yeah. your palate, yeah. after a while, you will find yourself not seeking these things. Right. And then even when they're present in your home, um, like I, I'm, I'm big on, I, I thought I was massive on gelato and just love this stuff. There was gelato in our house, a big tub of it sitting there. And I literally had two tiny teaspoons of it and I was like alright I'm done wow like what? A, that's was, what people do with detoxes right they do detoxes intentionally yeah. so they change their palate yeah so I was done I, I just couldn't have any I was like I had I satisfied that kind of like ah, I just wanted to f- taste that right but I was done with it come to me like 2-3 years ago I would have had that whole tub by myself that's what people do with water fasting I think they like do water fast for like 10 days yeah. and they change their entire palate but you gotta yeah. change your, the, the, the culture in your own home as well yeah. as much as possible oh, this yeah. has to be a team effort like I don't like it's I don't just unilaterally decide and it's like this is what I'm going to do and then like live kind of a separate life. It's a kind of a shared well, decision. Well, now, now you're married though. So but how that's is, what I mean, it's a shared decision between yeah, my his wife, wife and I, his yeah. wife crossfits, man. He don't got But, but I have. mean that a lot of people do crossfit but they eat what they want too. Yeah, so I mean, is she like that? Mashallah, she's actually more diligent than I am. She doesn't She's more diligent. No she sugar for fuel, her either? No sugar, no processed but food. Everything things. has to be organic, free range. Like it's... Holy... She's very, mashallah. Like she actually got me on the straight and narrow even more than I thought I was. Okay. Sim is thinking you're very extremist for all of this. No, I'm it's just cold. thinking... It, no, look, it w- if you were out of shape, I would be like, mashallah, give you a handshake and a hug, perhaps even a kiss on the cheek, but... I think right now you're a pretty fit guy. You don't really need to worry about this kind of stuff. Uh, but, but do you think he's because to stay the way he is? Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just you, open, you don't open the door, right? Like, I don't open the door. Yeah. yeah no. it, 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 it's basically so, like if you if you were with one of like the, the righteous, pious predecessors, right? And you were like, you're 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 in great uh, like spiritual shape, right? Just watch porn once a week. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically, yeah. Actually, that's <laughs> no, come on, come on. But, but you know what? That Actually, is an unfair when, correlation. When, when it's suggested to me, she's like, uh, when my wife says, "Let's go. You need to get. Wow. We, we should get a new shirt. There's a new shirt I found. I really right. like it. If I'm a little bit out yeah. of it, I tell them, like, I'm not gonna get that shirt yet. Because this is how people don't just mm. go to sleep and wake up the next day like out of shape. Right. This is like an accruement, like it's a, a cruel of over time of like a pound here, a pound there over time. Then all of a sudden you find yourself like, oh my God, I just gained 20 pounds. Where did that come from? So I don't go shopping for clothes if I feel like the clothes I have right now are too tight or that I'm going to buy something that's a little bit too big. I know what my size is. So if I, if I feel that this thing is too tight, all right, the purchase has got to wait. It's gotta, mm. And I weigh myself on a daily basis in the morning when I get up in the morning. Every day? Every day. I just step. It's in the washroom. 
Yeah. So when I go to brush my teeth and take a shower, after I get out of the shower, I step on the scale. What's going on? This is actually how I started this whole thing. You know, I, I was struggling with weight loss and whatnot. And this was during the time when I was doing my PhD. And my supervisor said, well, you're a scientist. Everything you do is based on measurements. This is how you know you've progressed, you've done results, you've gone things. Do the same thing with your body. Yeah, you start things. throwing up. So, <laughs> in the toilet. Become bulimic, yeah. Yeah. So just start, measure, measure, measure the amount, <laughs> measure the amount you throw up. So start measuring, and I kid uh, you not, it's, uh, it's two things, it's two elements. It's the gradual progression because if it took you a long time to get out of shape, you can't go into this yo-yo. I'm just gonna drop everything all of a sudden, and because you'll just come back, you'll regain it. You actually have to wait for your body to readjust its basal metabolic rate. Your basal metabolic rate at 250 pounds is going to stay the one at 250 pounds if you go down quickly to 200 pounds. And mm. that's why people yo-yo and they go back. It's because their body is wanting to be at 250. So you have to do it more gradual. You have to have, to have a long view, a long-term view of this. And say, like, I'm going to do a pound a week. And I'm just going to pause even throughout this process to get down to 200. Maybe after losing the first 10 pounds, I'm going to pause at that, uh, at that 240 for a little while until my body just equilibrates and just adjusts and just gets used to 240. Mm. And then I'll start again the, the drop-down process down to 230 to, until you get to that. And that's what it, it took me a while. It took me a couple of years to get down from, I went up to 120, uh, what is it? 230, the heaviest I got to was 240 pounds. No. Pounds? Yeah, yeah. How long ago was this? This was back in- Do you have any pictures? Oh, I don't have it on me right now. Yeah, I don't believe it then. The way that I figure, so 240 pounds, I don't, I don't and that this was guy in 2012, 2013, Whoa. something like that. What do you 2013. It was my 30th birthday, and my family came down to Victoria, and, and we were riding scooters, and my sister took a picture of me. And you were just over your first breakup. All I saw was this big gut as I'm sitting on a scooter. Now, it's not a pretty sight when you're a fat guy sitting on a little scooter. And all I could think of is... <laughs> I just tried to picture it. <laughs> picture. With a big smile on his face. And yeah, that's actually... Remember the, the helmet? Hey, remember the two fat guys on the Guinness Book of World Records? Dude, you're a fat guy on a scooter. <laughs> Did you ever see those pictures? Is, the thing is, I'm working out. I'm working out yeah, at the yeah, time. Yeah. I'm right. lifting weights. I'm doing all this stuff. So you think you're in shape. And I'm noticing... Well, I knew I was in shape because I'm noticing that even though I parked my car in the parking lot close to the, to the road to cross to come straight through to the building... And I'm just going up one flight of stairs and I'm losing breath. So I knew that I was not in shape. Another, but I'm going to the gym, I'm lifting weights, I'm doing all that stuff. And all I'm getting told, oh, you're just big boned. You're just a big boned guy. So you're looking at, I'm looking at my picture, I'm like, this is not a good look. And that was on my 30th birthday. I was like, all right, Dang, time to change. 30 years old, wow. Time to change. So I changed. I was, so I started, I talked to my supervisor a little bit because he wasn't also like wanting to work out and stuff. And I took his advice. I'm like, I'm going to measure this. I downloaded my fitness pal. And I became the macro calorie measurement Nazi. Like anything I come across, I'm scanning the barcode and I'm looking at it. And then I started tinkering and figuring out how does my body respond to number one, the number of calories I'm consuming. So I found out through that, that I was going three to 500 calories extra per day that I actually needed. And number two, that my body doesn't really like carbs that much because when I do, then my waist circumference goes bigger. My weight doesn't really adjust properly. What about your not... cognition? How did you feel cognitively? As I lost weight? When you know when you ate carbs. 
when I eat carbs, lethargic. I can't I think as miserable. Clearly. I, I can't it, think man, as clearly. <laughs> so I started measuring all this stuff, and my fitness pal gives you a little pie chart. It's a free app you can download, and started measuring everything, everything I eat. People were getting frustrated with it. I don't care. This is about mm. my body now and how I look and how I feel. And as soon as I started doing that, the weight started to melt. Really? Something that I never, I was struggling with before. Now it's, and it's just a matter of manipulating your macro ratios and your and your calories. Are you the type of person that's ate? Because sounds like you made a pretty, like you didn't make a, a gradual change of diet. It's not like instead of having two sugars, I'm going to have one sugar. You switched a lot of stuff over quick, right? So the sugar part I did gradually. Okay. Um, but um, when I realized that I was doing three to five hundred calories over, that was that had to be an overnight decision. Like you're eating too much. Is that? But is that does that work because that's your psyche? Like for me, it's worked yeah. for me. Like if I did this thing called the whole thirty diet, like yeah, a year yeah. and a half ago, right? And for me, extreme stuff works for me because I'm an extreme guy. Yeah. Like Gulu, you know, I came out of mudcolism, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you're actually right. <laughs> you know, yeah, you that's kind of how I. That's kind of how I. That's my operating. That's my wife gets frustrated. My wife is very like on like even keeled moderate. Yeah. And I like bounce around like you know one yeah, day I'm, I'm zero to hundred person. Yeah, one yeah. day I'm mudcully, next day I'm worshiping gra graves. Stop you know, it's like. Just you mean you're hanging out with people, maybe that. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's better. Too. Look, I, uh, I, I'll. I'm saying the point I, is understand your psyche, right? You have to understand your psyche and what works for you because yeah. you have to actually exercise some some diplomacy with your nefs. Mm. So your nefs is not gonna like this sudden shift and change, and like you've been used to one way of doing things, all of a sudden you're gonna change it. And it's not gonna work. You're not gonna sustain it in the long haul. When am I zero to 100? If I, once I'm convinced of something and I've mulled it over and I know exactly this is what I need to do and this is how it's going to benefit, I'm going to go zero to 100 on it. Uh, but I don't make drastic changes that are too big, though. If zero to 100 in one thing, then I'll sustain it. Once I, but I have to know that I can sustain it. If I can't sustain it, I'll do a gradual thing. And if it's a bit too difficult, maybe I'll pull back a little bit. You know, have your one meal. Like for a while, I was having every week... It was like the thing I looked forward to every Saturday afternoon. It was Baskin Robbins. Wow! I'll get the large thing and I'll just go to town on it. Wait till you try Oberoi's. Yeah. Or Andy's. Have you heard of Oberoi's? No. Oh. <laughs> is, that, is that your is that your attention? Oh, if you think Baskin Robbins is good, like imagine. Oh man, I don't know what to do. They're tell closed you, right though. now. They're otherwise we're gonna. Yeah, lucky. Well, he, he's still here. A <laughs> he knows the name now. He's gonna be itching last. Month. Yeah, man, what maybe I should try over. the point is now I can't even have it. I can't go to Baskin Robbins and have it. It's too much for me. My palate doesn't good, take it. Good, my body good. doesn't. My body actually rejects the stuff now. It's starting to not like it. So yeah, some people have like if they reject it for a while, they get some weird reactions. Too. Yeah, it's it, it, the principle too. behind it is the same as how people become lactose intolerant. They just uh. don't eat cheese and they don't drink milk for a long time. So your body goes, why am I making this enzyme now? I don't need it anymore. So forget about it. So now you have your milk and you can't tol you can't tolerate it. Yeah. The same thing with processed food and stuff. Your body is not created. Is that what happens handle. if you don't have it for a long time? Yeah. Somebody told me something like after the age of 25 or something. It may have been your brother, I think. He's like... <laughs> no, Sim give me that look like. Was. As soon as he said his brother, was, Sim's no, I like. I think he was right. Well, he, what curve. he told me was, I think he sent me some. It's gonna be good. It. Go ahead. But he told me that after, like, generally, people after the age of twenty-five, they stop developing uh, the enzyme that breaks down lactose or something. That's like if that. they stop drinking milk. If they stop, okay. okay. But if you continue to drink milk, you'll be fine. Okay. So on that note, I, a friend of mine, he became lactose intolerant on his wedding night. 
What? I kid you not. He, he got that's, so nervous. That, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't. Poor guy. I don't know if that's lactose intolerance, but you know, it could be something but, else. But, but it, he, it, it was six months worth. He, I gotta tell you something, bro. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. We're gonna. Yeah. Do we have any more questions? Or are we gonna wrap up soon? Yeah, I mean, because uh, we guys, gotta unwrap you, something. You you guys uh, took up the whole time about fitness and it's okay. uh, the questions that hey bro the doctor the audience here, bro, has the audience has um, many other questions and you guys just uh, their questions are boring i don't know what these m words are <laughs> Chick, uh, <laughs> do you... is, is that a country so someone wanted to know if you believe in rukia do you think people get possessed by jinn like evil eye someone's maybe. really asking that a lot of people are stuck. yeah but, i mean because the whole thing in uk with the this this guy he was really popular i don't know if you heard of him Shekhar, but uh, apparently he, he, he had a really the, large following and he had uh, the like two wives. The diaries of the actresses, he's the one? No. Oh, the Hasanat thing. And no, the Hasanat. He's, he's, uh, yeah. So, uh, this whole look, exorcist... Man, there's, uh, there's a difference um, as far as I know. I didn't look too deeply into it, so I'm not going to comment beyond saying that uh, as far as I know, there is a difference in opinion about possession and all that. And uh, some scholars are of the opinion that you cannot be possessed because Allah says, وَلَقَدْ كَرَمْنَا بَنِي Adam And to take away your free will by having something else possess you is against that. And so they, they were of the opinion of that one. Others are of the opposite. I don't know. Um, one, one Rocky I talked to, he said that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't take away okay. your free will. Evil eye is real. Hmm. Evil eye is real. Yes. Evil eye is real. But if possession, it, I mean, evil eye can affect your freedom about, as well. The thing, the thing right. is about possession, what they've discovered for just about most cases that have this so-called possession end up being mental disorders. Somebody and, and who has I, yeah. epilepsy. Like people misinterpret epilepsy or um, there's one that's actually quite oppressive. Kids that have autism, like severe cases of autism, and they say like, Oh, play the Quran really loud and then they'll they'll go into fits and they'll go into like really like uh, seizures. And they say, look, it's the jinn that's like having a problem and coming out. It turns out that they're actually, it's its the sound. It's not the Quran. It's the, the high pitch of the sound that's actually harming. It's like that's torture wrong, to the kid. That's why you need medical intervention so before you ha- That's why, like, um, um, one of the mashayikh said, before you talk about supernatural phenomena, you have to exhaust all natural causes. Yeah. yeah. You have to, man. You have to first go to the doctor, get all that stuff sorted out. Is there any natural explanation for this condition that this person has if you've exhausted everything then you can go into maybe there is this other realm and you know it's yeah. fun, it's funny that in the indian i don't know if it's indian box or anything but it's more like um more of a relief to the family that it's a, a jinn possession <laughs> rather than like <laughs> a scientific so explanation so <laughs> you know like, so, like oh it's, it's like they it's, don't it's want biology. a medical intervention which is going to be a lot easier yeah than believing it's a jinn. It, to them it sounds like it's um if it's a jinn possession, it's external to them, and they don't have. But yeah, it uh, wasn't related to the, them or. But the thing is, as Allah tells us in the Quran, like uh, you, you cannot harm anyone illa bi idnillah. Like yeah. it's it's all by them. It's Allah's permission that yeah, anything that happens. So, we have the solution to all of this. Just recite your <laughs> The funny thing about the whole Hasanat thing is that that the the, the wife of Hasanat. Uh, oh, his name she, is Hassan. Yeah, the guy, the, the fake Rocky, okay, the okay. fake Instagram celebrity. His wife um, is also a celebrity as well, and her family is saying that she's possessed by a jinn, <laughs> <laughs> and that she wasn't a willing participant wow. in the scandal. I thought it was funny, but um, I, I, 
Do you guys want to play? <laughs> do you guys want to play that clip of a moment yeah, hijab saying? Let's do it. Go now ahead. I get why it was so funny. That's uh, just, yeah. While he pulls it up, the evil eye thing. So like people, like you know, sometimes people post like I, I'm pretty liberal as far as like posting pictures of like kids and stuff. Um, some people I know they put hearts on their face. Mm. Um, if you recite your clues and do your athkar and stuff, are you are you protected or is that still opening the door for? Um, evil eye. What, what, what are your thoughts on like posting pictures of family and whatnot, especially in the social media age that we live in? I mean, uh, do you reset your clothes every single day? Most days. Are there days that you miss? That's kind that. of the risk that you take. So, yeah. I don't know. I I personally, I don't post anything family-wise. Yeah, man, that's good. I don't I mean, it's still taking a risk, right? Even if you do, look, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to protect you and a better way f- to get Allah's protection is to take your precautionary measures too, right? Right. Um, you can drink even from the sun. Uh, sorry, Let's go ahead. Me. Why do you have rainbows on your <sighs> screen? It's the um, it's Pride Month. Sorry, I, you guys go ahead. Pride, <coughs> no, I I would say just um, this culture of oversharing everything and showing yeah, yeah. like I would I don't know. Yeah, you probably limit it. I would say I would limit it. I mean, I, I personally. Anything I share online, I try to make it for the sake of benefit. If there's a benefit behind it, but just yeah. for the sake of. I don't know. I I just don't like it. Yeah, man. yeah I, I was expecting to see. This is breaking news on the issue of Umar Abdullah. Now we're here at Al-Madad Outreach because we were dealing with this case with Sheikh Moinul. Sheikh Moinul, by the way, is an amazing friend of ours. Outreach program and has done a splendid job in being able to negotiate between different parties uh, and uh, finally being able to negotiate a confessionary video that's come up on Umar Abdullah's page after we have had, uh, we can confirm that we've had com- communications uh, through Moinul with uh, the family and uh, what has transpired and what is now almost without a shadow of a doubt clear is that number one, Hassanat, at least at one point of his life especially when he was doing the Rukia services he was an agnost according to his own confession and we saw this as a video Black and, not even black and white, it was a colored video with audio and video. We can't release that video because it's protected for some reason, um, for legal and otherwise. But we are absolutely sure that he apostated from the religion of Islam at least one time. At the same time, of course, he's profiting from Islam and from Muslims. Yes, he's profiting from Islam and he's profiting from Muslims doing Rukia services. 300 pounds, 400 pounds. Well, you're a crook. No. You are a crook. You are a crook. And you are a fraudster. And we will call every, each and every single one of you out. Wallahi, we will call you out and we will catch you. Because part of our da'wah is not just to find the disbelievers. The disbelievers who are at death. The enemy is disbelievers. But also to find the munafiqun of the ummah. That they're creeping around pretending to be Muslims. You're finished. You're finished. You're finished. You're finished. Wallahi, you're finished. Wallahi, you're finished. Don't ever any, any retraction you do now, switch off your social media. I don't want to see your face. I don't want to hear your voice. Wallahi. Wallahi, you're a crook and a full star. What happened with the 300,000? What happened with the 300? I'm asking you a question. What happened with the money? What happened with the 300,000 pounds? What happened with the 300,000 pounds? So apparently he, they raised like 300,000 pounds to go to and Rohingya. To the people, you're telling me where the government froze the money? A'udhu billah. You're playing around with Kuru Tarasa Akla Lama. 
as the Quran says, they eat, they, they often dwell. Is this applied to you or not? Find out. Give us some mustanadat. So give us some governmental documents, some official bank documents to show us where the money went. What the hell is this? We have seen the evidence. You cannot escape anymore. You're finished. Everyone will unfollow you now. No one will take your rookie services anymore. You're out of a job, boy. You're out of a job, boy. You're out of a job, boy. Not only are you out of a job, don't ever try and raise funds again. I'm telling you this. I love it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is about you and your likes, munafiqoon. And this is a message not just to you, but to all the munafiqoon of the ummah. They know who they are. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذَا رَأَيْتُهُمْ تَعْجِبُكَ أَجْسَامُهُمْ وَإِيَقُولُ تَسْمَعَ لِقَوْلِهِمْ كَأَنَّهُمْ خُشُبُ مُسَنَّدَةً يَحْسَبُونَ كُلَّ صَيْحَةٍ عَلَيْهِمْ هُمُ الْعَدُوَ فَحْقَرْهُمْ قَاتَلَهُمُ اللَّهِ إِنَّا يُفَكُونَ Chapter 63 verse 4 Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Where he says If you see them You like the way they look Islamically dressed If they speak They speak with Islamic jargon they are like woods, planks of woods. They think every bad thing is against them. Allah will fight them. Allah. And, where, uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will destroy them. Listen to me. We have the evidences. You don't believe? Wallah, we have the evidence. We saw it with our eyes. Don't mess around. Don't play games. And you can go to my Twitter account. Yes, go to my Twitter account. I posted some of the evidences there. Go to my YouTube. Go to my Instagram account. I posted some of the evidences there. This is just some crumbs. My brother, I'm not going to call you brother. Boy, 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 boy. <laughs> but he's not trying to reject what we're talking about. Wallah, <laughs> we will finish the situation from an evolutionary perspective. Don't try it, boy. Don't try it, boy. You're done. You're finished. Ya Munafiq. <laughs> <laughs> this is this oh, is his Egyptian wow. coming out. This is, oh, is he Egyptian? Egyptian? Well, come on, man! He, it's, it's so obvious. He looks so like obvious. our our Egyptian friend from back when we were kids. No, no, I don't think he's Egyptian, dude. He's Egyptian, Trans I think. Dude, he's hundred percent Egyptian. Dude, in Arabic, he's just translating what he would say in Arabic into English. Ya walad, ya walad, ya walad. I love it, man. That's sincerity, though. That's sincerity. I mean, he, this guy Hassan—he damaged a lot of people, a lot of yeah, a yeah. lot of people's There's lives. There's a lot of trauma out of this. Uh, a lot of people are really angry in 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 the UK right now uh, with the, because uh, I mean they were literally living double lives. Him and his wife. They, they well, one of his wife was clubbing and going out and uh, hanging out with you know other men and mm -hmm. things like that. And um, it's just a really messed up situation. Um, I don't know. Do you think but, this came up because uh, they, they were insulting you on the Blood Brothers podcast? No, but uh, it's <laughs> interesting you brought this up. I wonder what Dizzy Hussein has to say about this. The thing about this, how can some, how can this particular couple or whatever, triple or triune or whatever, can um, uh, gain such a large following? And Mohammed Nizami from Mohammed Nizami from the UK, he uh, tweeted uh, something that's pretty profound. Islam to a lot of Muslims, even the highly educated ones. Is a is a, a thing of superstition. It's a time to basically suspend your intellect and become superstitious. That it's a collection of superstitions. That's what Islam is. It's not yeah. a religion. It's not mm. a light of guidance. I mean, uh, Imam Mikhail in his book, uh, when he talks about the aql, and he's comparing like what Imam Muhasibi's uh, position is in contrast to the Western approach that has elevated the intellect <coughs> to uh, kind of the final be all or end all. The Islamic position is the intellect is 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 like the eyes. 
and revelation is like the sun you know it you need light for you to be able to see and a lot of this stuff is not based on any sound tradition or quranic oh. verses or anything they just played on people's superstitions and fears and anxieties and the sad reality is that is islam is out, out of style and um Muslim culture might be in style. There might be people who care about so. uh, uh, certain Muslims. I'm, I'm talking. I'm not talking about. Uh, I'm, I'm not talking about like uh, people of knowledge. Look, but I'm talking uh, about like like. I would. I would just. Uh, I would just caution against that kind of approach because the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Man qala halak ahlakahum," or in another narration, ahlakuhum." Yeah. So whoever says that the people are perished, you know, a sister kind of uh, phrase to that would be, Islam is out of style, it's done, it's over. Uh, I'm not saying know, it's over, I'm just saying that it's it's not, um, I mean, look, look how much effort you put, we all put, uh, even yeah. just recently I, I remember Brother Asadullah Andalusi's post saying like, you know what, he's putting like every ounce of blood and energy into his work and um, he's just not, Seeing it, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to put words in but his mouth, but, 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 but he, he was, he, he was expressing a lot of the, the frustration that many of us who are involved with Islamic related activities or in, in whatever fashion or whatever capacity where we're doing our work. Um, okay, there are two things with that. Again, back to the Sunnah of the Prophet, yeah. when he was in his lowest position, the lowest time of his, of his life, was ta'if. And what did he do? He wasn't frustrated with the people. He simply turned back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he said, as long as you're, are you going to leave me to some stranger who's going to harm me and to kill me and to do this? He sallam, just said, as long as you're happy and pleased with me, then I, I, wala ubali. I don't have any problems. Yeah. I, think, said, I think he's talking more from the direction of like, I'll give you an example. I work with high school kids, right? Mm -hmm. High school children. Um, <clears throat> and generally, that age, um, they don't, they don't, it's very difficult for many of them to understand why Islam is the way it is because of the idea that uh, is being, the ideas that are being pushed on them and the mindset and the worldview, I want to say, right? So the worldview that they have and they, they've taken on is not, doesn't seem to be compatible with Islam. So it's kind of like Islam becomes this identity marker type thing, cultural identity marker, right? I don't say, I don't, I don't, the reason I'm saying that, I think I may share some sentiment with him, not on the level of, let me just say, I think that there's still so much khayr left in this ummah, and there always will be, no matter what situation we're in. The ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is always going to be lots of goodness inside of it. But those people who are on the forefronts, I think we can sometimes fall into a trap where for, the, for uh, uh, a big portion of our lives, for instance, people who work as imams of the masjid, mm. People who come to them and that are very surprising and alarming and alert them are people who have lots of issues. Mm. And it could seem like to them that, okay, there's so many, so many problems, right? Mm. But then you have the flip side of where the general understanding of Islam, many, almost majority, I don't say majority, a big, a big percentage of people are lacking and they don't find Islam compatible with the life that they're living in. Yeah. So even if you try to explain to them Islam holistically, they're not getting the it. The problem is we're thinking about it intellectually too much. Yeah. So um, uh, you have to look, the, the way somebody arrives at a conclusion about something is not purely based on just an intellectual deliberation. Of course. There was a, a, an emotional component to this. So if you look at you know, kids when they grow up with Islam, what was their experience of Islam from a young age? Children are nufus. Yeah. 
Yeah. They're not intellects. They're just complete nufus. Of course. The grandmothers. The so, grandmothers iman, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but as nufus, as nufus, what do you do with kids? You want your kid to memorize something. You don't tell them, mashallah, Allah will reward you with heaven and paradise and this is great. You're getting closer to Allah and it's like worshiping Allah. None of that resonates with a child. What resonates with a child is if you memorize the Quran or if you memorize the surah, I'm going to get you this thing that you really want. So they're motivated by that. There's positive reinforcement. If you fast today with us, you're going to get that thing that you really would like to have, this food that you're really craving for a while, whatever it is. So it's always this positive reinforcement. You have to create an emotionally charged, positive emotionally charged environment for the child to build that um, emotional resilience. Unfortunately, though, for a lot of stories that I hear, memorization of the Quran is linked with the asa. If you got it <laughs> wrong, you're going to get beat. Yeah. So a lot of people that I know that have memorized the Quran, they speak, now they speak fondly of it, but I'm just thinking about the emotional state that you put a child in, that you link the Quran with beating. If they got it wrong, they get spanked. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If they miss the prayer, they get spanked. Yeah. If they don't fast, there's some repercussions to that, some retribution that's happening. There's always punishment. So when they grow up and now they're entering into the intellectual stage, they're emotionally disconnected. Their associations with Islam are not positive to begin with. Yeah. Emotionally. And now it makes it more readily for them to accept an intellectual argument that goes against the religion. And even about, like, if you were talking about Christianity, they're on the same point. That one dude who you, for instance, some people who become <coughs> Christians, right, is because uh, Jesus is love and love and everything they learned about Islam was very strictness, yes. strictness, strictness. So they're just been, I want to say, even traumatized some of them and they just want to find something that will show them love. My dad calls it ثقافة الرب الغالب. Mm. Is what we've been, we've, we've been taught this culture of the angry God. Allah is always angry with you. Allah just to wants to you. punish you. Yeah, is out yeah. to get you. And your association with religion is always this strictness, this just, it's always negative. Yeah. So I think before we talk about the intellectual, we have to also recognize the emotional component of this and work from the root from the base, from the, from the kids at a young age. Create positive associations as much as possible so that anything to do with Islam is a time of just joy and happiness and it's great and it's like I get it's Because it, nufus, you're dealing with nufus. You can't tell a kid that you're going to get this reward in the hereafter. They want the reward now. That's why it's good to yeah. encourage. What is Al-Mu'allafat Qulubahum about? He did that with adults who entered into Islam but because they were still on shaky grounds, they were getting more share of the war by Abudi. They were getting more share of the charity. They were getting more. The Ansar, what did they do? Initially, a couple of them were getting a little upset. Mm. Like, what's going on? And he saw Allah, says, yeah. I'm giving them a little bit of the dunya. But, but look at their state. They just entered into Islam. Allah, Allah. Are you not happy with the beloved Sallallahu coming back with you? It's like, take everything. We don't want it. Just yeah. you come back with us. Sallallahu I think those of us have kids are some, seeing some of that in, where we're Kind of, I don't know if it's bartering, but you like. So I took my daughter to a to a mold. My daughter likes my daughter likes going to molded. Yeah, right. Mashallah. Because I think there's a yeah, the emotional aspect of like singing songs, right? Yeah. So she goes there and she requests a song and they play it for her, right? And then like last night, and then they were selling like basmala beads there, like these yeah. thicker beads. And it's like, do you want one? It's like pick out your thicker bead. But I'm like, it ain't just for show. It ain't it ain't like a necklace. Yeah. You're gonna use it, right? Yeah, yeah. And so she's using it now. She's like. Yesterday we were having a conversation and um, she's like, I'm bored. I want I want to play Tune Blast on your phone. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, I think those of you guys who are following on Facebook will see this. And I was like, no, um, 
you know, you go do something else. Like, there's nothing to do. It's like, go do Dicker. She's like, I already did Dicker. And then she's like, um, I, and she's like, and I showed Mariam, who's my two-year-old, how to do Dicker. Wow. <laughs> and then I'm like, um, why don't you go do 100 salawat? And she's like, that's too much. I was like, if you do it, I'll let you watch uh, cartoons. She's like, how about a movie? And I'm like, what movie? I'm like, Christopher Robin. Hey, this is the, what, how old is she? She's, she's going to be six next month. Wow. Mashallah. Yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm watching my brother-in-law now, yeah. like the way that he does it with his daughter. She's right. a year old. Yeah. Her lullabies and her going to bed songs and all of that. And shout out just in case they're watching. Yeah. Maisa, Mazin, Manel, all the family. Huh. Um the the way that they're doing with it, he he always sings her to sleep uh, the burda and he's right. singing. What is all that doing? She's not comprehending Maulaya Salat, and she's not thinking yeah, of that. Yeah. But when she grows up, she's gonna. These are positive emotional reinforcements. Right. That the more you sing these things, so now she's associating like happiness and joy and just like expansion oh. and ease and all of that with religion. So now when you tell her about the argument for and the community that she's surrounded with is a community that loves Allah and loves the Messenger وسلم, and always talks about these things. And it's always joy. And so when she's and it's a community of prayer and dhikr and all of that. Yeah. And mawalid. So when she grows up, she's surrounded by people that love Allah and the Messenger. She's experienced from a very young age ever since she could hear anything. Yeah. Is the burda and the, and the qasaid and all of that stuff and Quran being recited at home and all of that. Do you think like May Allah preserve everybody, but she is the furthest person I would expect to be swayed by any silly arguments from any right. atheist to come through. Yeah. Because she's like, my whole life and experience is love of Allah and love of the Messenger, of and I see it in all, all over the place. Right. Yeah. Her heart has been open that way. Yeah. We don't do all of that. So when I was, I worked as an imam for like six months, and I, I had parents come to me, and it's like, my son, 17 years old, 18 years old, you know, on the brink of leaving the deen, or my son left the religion. It's like, okay, you want me to talk to your son now? after like 18 years of whatever he's been going through yeah. that I'm going to unwork into our conversation. I don't know what what you yeah. expect me to do. And the person is going to be on the religion of their companionship. So right. I don't know what kind of companionship this person is keeping. Yeah. You think two hours of my time is going to, I might trigger something. I'm going to try. I'm going to talk to them. I'm yeah. going to try to trigger their interest maybe. Yeah. But we have to start the work from a very young age before we come to this conclusion of, Oh, look, the youth are not responding. They're not finding things that are compatible. In fact, even the things that they think are incompatible or they're not kind of bridging the gap or whatever, that's really just a product of, of, uh, of spiritual blindness. Hmm. They're not seeing it, but it's all compatible. They're just not seeing how it is. And that's because of an accrual of mess. Yeah. So um, before we wrap up here, because I think we're coming up on yeah. almost two hours. Um, so you, you mashallah, got married. Recently, and yeah. I think we, we touched that already in the show. Um, and you're supposed to give us an invite to your Walima, but uh, yeah. it didn't happen. The Walima didn't happen, so we, there was no invite. Um, I, I, I actually it happened in Melbourne. Don't, I, don't explain. Don't explain. Yeah, it's all good. I, I actually thank you. I'm but, gonna say thank you, sir. <laughs> but I actually bought you. I got you a gift. Um, you know that you can show off <laughs> to the guests. You know here. So all don't you gotta do to is guest. don't show it to the guests. Let's Let's take it. No, okay. No, no, no. no, no. Show, show it to the guest. It's right behind you. It's right behind you. Look how take that box. Yeah, yeah, take that box. Look how worried he got. He's like, no, you have to show it to the guest. MashaAllah. Let's see. Show the box. Show the box. Unbox you gotta show, it, you gotta show the, the box. box. I got to show the box. Yeah, right. yeah, show the box. All right, guys. <laughs> Welcome to my YouTube channel. This is a camera over there. Is that the over <laughs> That's there? That's what he wants. All right. So I got this box. It's a Jordan box. 
Nice box, mashallah, mm -hmm. Nike Air on the side here. Yeah, um, quality is pretty good, you know, but I'll do it a little better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just to keep the surprise going, it's a black covering over here, mashallah. Oh, sick! Nice. Mashallah. Yeah. Oh, the yeah, mashallah. You, you gotta show this. So he's this got the is, uh, Air Jordan 11 Concord, which wow. some people, for this might be, um, some people, uh, I'll explain, Mashallah. this shoe might be the greatest sneaker of all time, either this or the Air Jordan 1 Bread for sneaker hats. Air Jordan 1 Bread or Retro yeah. 13s. So I, I picked up, I picked up two pairs. Jazakumullah well, yeah, yeah. Mashallah. So just take care of them, and I then will. like, you know, that's... Don't take care of them. Man, I feel like, should I sleep with them or something? No, no. Like, Use them as put pillows. Put them on a pedestal? Yeah. Like, wow, mashallah, these are really nice, man. Those That's sick. Yeah, because like, wow. the model I was wearing earlier is a different colorway, yeah, but this, yeah. is, this is the original model. Uh, Michael Jordan wore this in the uh, conference when they put the, the magic in the playoffs. Best ever. Better than LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. Very nice. Why don't you put it up a little bit more for the camera? Can everybody see right. this? Right, yeah, the see. Jordan yeah. 11 Concord. You can wear it with Let's a tuxedo, like too. Yeah. I mean, some some people call it the tuxedo Jordans. Yeah. Like Patent that. leather. Right. Nice. Wow. Yeah. That's gorgeous. MashaAllah. Jazakumullah khair, oh, man. Really appreciate it, man. What a guy, man. Wow. What a guy. What a guy. Now everyone else is going to be like, man, right. where, where's my gift at? Yeah. Yeah. Sin, what's up? Yeah, I, I got a gift, <laughs> but it, it's actually in the other room. Sheikh uh -huh. I'm just happy with his presence fish. here. Oh, I didn't know, you know we were going to do I was going to give you fish. Sheikh Amr imparts what they call the hal. Alhamdulillah, yeah, 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 that's exactly what you guys don't know me. All right, guys, let's wrap this baby up. Any parting thoughts, Dr. Gunn? Any any words of wisdom that you would wish to pass people who are about to get married or embarking on that journey? Or just barking. Barking. No worries. I would just say be deliberate. Don't. When it comes to marriage, make sure that you pick someone that has a similar kind of religious orientation as yourself. Um, I always tell people, I've said this before in other contexts, you know, if you're of a Salafi kind of inclination type of mindset, go pick with Salafi. Sufi. Pick Salafi oh, as pick well. Sufi. You know, don't go. Don't marriage you don't want, because even if you think, oh, love will conquer all, but when it really comes down to it, your particular commitments, when you have children, man, you're going to clash. So you, you really, you want to grow together spiritually and, and holistically and so make sure that you ask the important questions beforehand. If you're um, liberal, make sure you marry conservative so that yeah. <laughs> you can become more conservative. Um, but the biggest advice I tell people, after you make sure that you pick the right person, that you really like, you've settled, you've, you've settled the big issues and you dealt with them ahead at, at the offset. You didn't first you know, get infatuated and then start to play this game where you try to be accommodating so that you don't hurt other people's feelings. No, from the start, you ask the hard questions what do you believe? What do you stand for? What are your values? What are your plans? What, how, where do you see yourself in five to ten years? Like the big questions. You got to ask these questions before you become attached to the person emotionally. And once you find that you guys are in line, you're not going to, it's not like a t-shirt kind of design. <laughs> you're going to have some difference, but as long as the core issues you guys agree on and you decide to go ahead and do this, my biggest advice to people is that when it comes to your wedding, do not um, embark on what the Prophet ﷺ called half of your religion or two-thirds of your religion with haram activities. Mm. Make sure that it is a blessed occasion um, and don't negotiate that. I don't care who it is with, family members, whatever. Beautiful Do not obey the creation in things that would disobey the creator. And if you want a blessed marriage, make sure you start it in a blessed way. Alhamdulillah. My wife and I, we had like a really particular way of wanting to do this. It was a nice, intimate wedding. 
Uh, we had our close friends that we really cared about, and it was a beautiful gathering. And it under was under a hundred people, I think. It was too. under a hundred people. It was Keep filled it simple, with dhikr. Yeah. Keep it simple. It wasn't uh, breaking the bank, and it was filled with dhikr, and it was filled with love and and affection for between everybody. It was great. Good so for you, man. Mashallah. I would just uh, advise people to do that, inshallah. But thank you for coming, brother. I just want to say thank you so much. Allah I was I was like, man, I don't think there's ever going to be a time that he's going to be able to make it here from Australia. Alhamdulillah, man. Alhamdulillah. This is this is good, brother. Alhamdulillah. Barakallah for the invite. I really try. I love that chicken. What is it from? Portos. Portos. Portos Peri-peri. Peri-peri. That was very. That was very nice chicken. And he really does eat meat, by the way. So <laughs> yeah. those of y'all who were people confused, thought he was I accidentally said it on the podcast that he's an ardent <laughs> vegan. I take it back. I saw it with my own eyes. The man eats halal, um, tayyab <laughs> certified animals that have been raised in a proper. Uh, farm and and and, and tra- treated humanely. Yeah, he follows the sunnah to the to the bone, and uh, he to did. To I see what you did there. Oh, nice, mashallah. To the chicken bone. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's All our right. show this evening. Dr. Gilan, jazakallah khair uh, for showing up here. We're, we're, we're totally undeserving of your presence, but uh, you guys uh, we, we needed it. it. We needed the presence yeah. here, man. Help us out on Patreon.com. Patreon.com backslash. The Mad Mamluks, this operation requires your support, as you heard. Uh, Sim puts it all on the line, and uh, sometimes he'll be willing to throw his career on the line for <laughs> the sake of this podcast. In that event, please do not let my family starve, so help us out <laughs> on, <laughs> on Patreon.com, the back, backslash The Mad Mamluks. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, <laughs> We'll see y'all next week. Assalamualaikum.